All right, well, uh, we're going to start this in just two seconds here. We're going to do the national anthem, and then we're going to do the show introduction, and we're going to kick off Coca Talk. So please, all rise for our national anthem. Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Strout. All right, welcome everybody. And I lost track. Is this number twenty-seven? Yes, I believe so, because wasn't it the half-year anniversary last week? Yeah, I think last year was episode 26, so welcome to, Cup, to, Keko, Kuku, to welcome to Coco Talk, episode 27. And we are streaming on our brand new uh, color computer dedicated channel, right? So you, if you're watching us right now, you're watching us on the I'm a Coconut channel. And this is a channel I created uh, just recently to celebrate all things color computer and we are going to be moving things here so all future episodes of coco talk will air here now on my old channel because uh, it's hard to get information out there i have a little banner that's streaming right now just letting people know so people who are used to watching coco talk on the old channel will be greeted with a message saying head on over to the i'm a coconut channel and here we are we are um, on episode 27. Right now, I am greeted by uh, who has not been with us in a while, too, but the lovely and talented John Strong. Welcome, John Strong. How are you? Yeah, I think we need to take donations to get your eyes checked. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's a dark lighting. It fools him. <laughs> okay. Um, We've got Barry Nelson with us. We've got from the Great White North, L. Curtis Boyle. We've got Richard Lor Lorbieski with us. We have Bill Noble, Curtis's partner in crime. How's it going, A? Pretty good. And then we have, last but certainly not least, Mr. Floppy Talk himself, David Ladd. Welcome, David. You don't have to speak all at once there, David. All right. So that's who we have with us right now. And the great thing about Coco Talk is that any time anything can and will happen. So who knows who will join? Who knows who will leave? Who knows who will even watch for that matter? But we're here. We're here for another week. And, and John Strong, we have not heard from you in quite some time. So would you like to fill us in maybe on some things that you've been up to? Well, life has been beating up on me a little bit, so I've been sick, but uh, did get uh, to look at my uh, Dr. Coco a little bit to see to get start to getting it prepped for release. And uh, That's the it, Dr. Mario clone for anybody yeah. who doesn't know that by name, okay? And uh, see what I need. It's, it's definitely playable right now. It, it needs some... Uh, tweaks here and there, uh, a little bit more graphics work on the background screens and such, but uh, did check it out to get it prepped. Um, 
I am going to target that for the uh, John Linville Game Master Board. So. Excellent. Okay. Including yeah. a special sound? Yes. Uh, with with that, I won't need the bank switching on, on that board, but uh, uh, if I have it there, I might be able to throw something special in to use some of the extra memory. But, uh, so... So that yeah, means it will play hardware-assisted hardware um, background music. Yes. Yeah, and it also supports the uh, bank's coaching scheme. So, uh, you know, I may decide to take advantage of the extra memory and do some, some special as far as graphics with that. And uh, also, the uh, Andy Andy is also is targeting the Game Master cartridge. Excellent. So... Um, so, so that's do you, kind of, do you think you'll be ready by Tandy Assembly or a little bit after that for the first uh, one? No, no, I'm not going to be ready by Tandy Assembly. I'm not going to be able to make it to Tandy Assembly. And uh, so I don't have the boards yet, but uh, that's in the works. Okay. It's just kind of cool to hear about it because I think you're going to probably be the first release to use the MasterCard. Well, unless, you know, uh, John happens to come up with something get you know a little bit busier than i am on it um, <laughs> yeah he might have something for tandy assembly who knows a little surprise yeah i, I don't know uh you know, people are you know not sure what they want to do yet because they haven't seen a game on it uh if you're going to do a standalone cart i think it's the way to go and uh, john had graciously agreed to share his board design with me and uh you know, uh, it saves me from duplicating the effort, you know, yeah. and uh, and hopefully it'll help John in the long run bringing the cost of the boards down. So, because uh, the more you order, the cheaper they get. So, yeah. well, at least we have a standard for cartridge games now with that has built in sound. So, yeah, I think that's the, the two things we're going to have. We're going to have a standard for you know, a cartridge that has built in sound, and then you're going to have. You know the other sound cards, okay? Which is cool. I, I like them all. I, I think the Game Master is kind of a way to go, at least right now, cost-wise, and you know, ease of use for doing an all-in-one piece. Uh, the other sound cards are looking awful nice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I may be doing some disc-based games to support those, and I might do something to support them. Uh, that's to come. But uh, John's Game Master basically does uh, everything I had specked out in my research that I was going to do for a game cartridge. Okay, for first round. The only thing he doesn't have is external audio out. Okay? And in these games, that's needed, you know, right now, so... But, uh, you know, if I was designing the board, I, have, I would have external audio out. But that's pretty much the only, you know, noticeable difference that you would see. Very cool. So, on the horizon, a couple new games from John Strong of Strongware, both of which will be featuring real music <laughs> on a synthesizer. Hardware-based music, anyways, right? So, so uh while I'm still waiting on my music designer. Is that, that Alan? Uh, 
Alan Huffman? Uh, yes. <laughs> but he, he'll, he'll get he'll get busy back here a little bit. Yeah. He's and, pretty busy uh, with work right now, isn't he? He's still getting caught yeah, up. Yeah, I think he's been, you know, Summers had a lot of things going on with him. And, you know, I've had a lot of things on my side. I have some health issues and everything after the fest that slowed down what I can do, been able to do. And uh, so, you know, I haven't pushed him or anything like that on it. Um, the one game I could probably do the music of, I think I could find tools, I could do it. But uh, he would do a lot better job than I would, okay? And uh, I think there's also some other people in the community that might step up if, if Alan's not available to help. But, you know, uh, on the one game, I think Alan's going to do it because he's excited about the game. So, you know, once I get a little bit farther along on it, it'll, it'll give him some reason to work on it. Is that the handy Andy one, the uh, yes. Ralph Fix It Felix clone? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I remember we talked about that in, in an earlier interview. I'm looking forward to that game too. I think a lot of people are. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I'm kind of excited about it, you know, looking at things. But uh, like I said, it's just been kind of slow, you know, going here. Mm-hmm. You know, when work gets busy, you don't spend as much time playing on the computer, and etc. So. Uh, the catchphrase of the century is "life happens," right? <laughs> yes, life happens. You know, just you know, I I walked up in a, at a VCF Midwest and a conversation, you know, uh, going on, and that's happening with Jim Brain on some of his projects. You know, it just happens across the board. And speaking of VCF Midwest, Peter Barlett. Uh, who does the what the M M three SI or something? The add-on for the the attendee uh, model three and fours and model ones. Okay. He's got a project going for the uh, Coco that looks quite promising. He's actually plugging into the cartridge port and generating VGA output by reading the data from the cartridge port. Wow. Without special drivers, or uh, he's got a a fill programmer gateway, and he's monitoring the signals on the bus and figuring out what's being written to the video area and converting that to VGA. <laughs> wow! wow. <laughs> okay, very unique approach. Okay. What a helpful little uh, peripheral. Right so there. that would be a non-soldering, non-taking apart your cocoa solution. You just plug in a cartridge and go, right? Right. Okay, and you know, I posted on the you know the chat line or, or the Skype chat, you know, a picture of it. People asked a whole bunch of questions, but you know, even Peter doesn't know where he's going exactly yet with this. But he is supposed to be uh, at Tandy Assembly, and so we may have more done on it. So, uh, now, do you know is this Coco One and Two only, or is this Coco Three as well? Uh. He doesn't. He's having some issues with doing the Coco Three stuff yet, but he's planning on Coco Three. Cool. And and uh, uh, Myro and uh, others were helping him at the show. Very and, cool. And so uh, uh, finding things that worked or broke it, so he can look to you know to fix it. And uh, so it's. 
I, it's an interesting project. It's, you know, a totally different approach. And the fact that he has, you know, uh, all the other stuff that he's done for the, you know, the, tan, the, the Tandy Model 3 and 4 and such. You know, I, I think he has, you know, internet connection and, you know, different things like that, you know. Uh, they use a compact flash, you know, connection and everything for memory, hard drive and stuff. So it'd be very interesting to see what he comes up with. You know, another alternative out there, but you know. Yeah, that's a neat. That's a neat project. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. If you can get it working off the cartridge port with no mm. wires, soldering, anything else, you know, you taking your uh, case apart. Yeah. Especially if he uh, designs the cartridge so it acts like a pass-through, so you can plug another cartridge into it. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, wishful thinking. Yeah, you know, I don't know where he's going right. with that, you know, uh, uh, but he's at very early stages of it, and, right. uh, you know, people on, on the Skype, I said, well, you asked him any questions, you know, because there's no answers yet. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's kind of the problem. Sometimes we have to back off, you know, we see a new project, oh, we have all these ideas, and we got to give the you know the inventor the creator some space you know sure yeah, sure and sure. you know and not yeah. encourage the feature creep things would never gets released mm -hmm. <laughs> right you know and then, so that's kind of the thing that uh, you know he has a history of releasing some good products and uh, so it's you know uh, I think it's very exciting okay because you know Neil was playing with it I think. Uh, Farfall broke it. <laughs> okay, but uh, so it's you know, um, so we'll we'll see what what comes of it. But uh, you know, uh, it'll be you know, I just hate I'm missing Tandy Assembly because there's going to be a lot of a lot of neat, interesting things going on there. I believe. I would like to, if 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 you're in pretty good contact with him, is maybe once he gets far enough along the project to be comfortable to do so, if you can maybe get him to come on as a guest on the show and talk about it. I, it's too early now, but yeah, I just really met him, but I might be able to further the contact with him because I talked to him about you know possibly doing uh, a case for his other projects, and I know there's a design out there, uh, but I prefer to print my own designs. You know, whether it's somebody else's. You know, then I can actually design it to match my machine. And there's there's, there's variations on the 3D printing, you know, printers. You know, that, uh, you know, it may be a great design for one printer, but this can print on the other, you know. So, and, uh, well, I have, you know, was given permission by the designer of the case for his stuff to make those. Uh, you know, I would prefer my own design. Not because his design is bad, I just rather have it mine. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes you know, sense. You know, no criticism of his design, nothing no, like that. No, none taken. No. Yeah, you know, so. But, uh, you know, it was, VCF was kind of interesting. I had a small show up for my game programming. Uh, it was kind of generic because we had, you know, multiple systems there. But I did have uh, one guy who was in the seminar who actually came and bought a copy of one of my discs of games to run on the emulator after hearing my talks. So that was cool. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, had a talk with a couple other people. There was uh, 
suddenly kind of like, oh, I know a lot more about the color computer now than we did before. Was there many color computer users there or on display? Or uh, It was, you know, Neil and Myro and, um, uh, let's see. Can I That's a little bit of a journey for Neil to come down from Canada. Yeah. Huh? Yes. And uh, Some dedication. three or four others, okay, that was there. Um, Jim Brain? Jim Brain. Uh, Jim Brain was there, okay. Jim okay. O'Keefe. Um, uh, trying to remember all the names. Being sick, it makes you you're slow on remembering That's things. fine. It's good to see that Same we the were guy, represented. The, yeah, the guy who did flood it, okay. Okay, Evan there. Wright. Evan Wright, okay. Okay. And John Mark Mobley was there. Okay. And uh, Ron Klein showed up. He didn't mm-hmm. have a booth. Okay. Uh, and I think a couple others, you know, showed up. Without boats there, okay? okay. So uh, we had a fair represent, uh, representation there. It, it could have been a little bit better, but it's grown a little bit. And, um, you know, so you know, people know that we're, we're there and looking at it. And, and I really think, you know, the candy assembly, um, people going to the Midwest, uh, you know, VCF Midwest, it's probably a part of an incentive for uh, Peter Barrett to, if I'm getting his name right, okay? Uh, it could be Barlett. So if I've got it wrong, I apologize. And it's quite all right. It's one of the reasons he's doing the stuff for the Cocoa. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be wrong, but I, I just have that feeling, you know. Uh, so I think it's good. People are, are hearing about it. Uh you know, getting some interest because I did have some, you know, people who talk are stayed quite a while at my booth talking, asking questions and so on. So, you know, uh, okay, you know, surprised that we had MIDI. And I said, Oh, yeah, we've had MIDI for a long time. Oh, yeah. Well, we, let me just acknowledge a few people who have joined us in chat that I haven't been able to say hi to, and I'm sorry for interrupting you there, John. But, oh, sure. Uh, uh, Grant Leedy has joined us, and Grant, you know, is part of our panel. And um, But Grant also mentioned he's also not feeling well, so he's got some sick voice issues going on. So uh, hello, Grant, in the live chat, and hello, Norlander, in the live chat as well, who also just subscribed to the new channel. So if you guys are watching us on the new channel um please subscribe here too because this is the official color computer youtube channel look forward to a lot of new and exciting things coming uh, down the pike from this channel here um and i also want to just do a quick mention um that um, just from talking to john here and talking about the show it sounds like myro it did catch on myro did catch on i was thinking every time he (laughs) said myro yes myro has caught on and so it's trending hashtag myro forever (laughs) so um, well, we are certainly glad to have you back amongst us, Mr. John Strong. You've been your contributions not only to our computer over the years, but to our little program here have been invaluable. So we're certainly glad to have you back here with us and hope you're feeling better and hope, you know, David Ladd was getting over being sick. I was sick a little while ago. It's, it's going around, right? <laughs> Grant says, I've got the David Ladd bug. Yeah. It's floppy related. It's floppy related. How many sectors are in that bug? (laughs) Do you really want to know? 
Oh, well, we'll come, we'll come back and hear some more of that, but let's get some, uh, a few other people. Matter of fact, before we go around the room some more, let's take a quick, quick commercial break because we're already at 20 minutes into the show. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll go around the room here for some more people. And then we're going to definitely catch up more with John Strong uh, as the show is. Do you have time to hang out with us for a little while today, John? Yeah, I'm going to try for a little while. Okay. Um, I probably will leave before the show is completely okay. over. Okay, that's fine. I'm still pretty weak and uh, got some stuff to need to be done today. So, And I think what we need to refer to as of right now, for those of us who are sick and, and if we are part of the color computer community, we don't just have any bug. We have the mega bug. We gotcha! So... For those of you who are sick, you're suffering from the mega gotcha. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back, people. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here and you're listening to Coco Talk. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay Color Computer goodness. Gaming DVD today, gameplay head on over goodness. to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Hi, it's Glenn Hewlett. I'm here at the Coco Fest 2017, and you're watching the original gamer Stevie Stroke. And speaking of Coco Music, there was a little bit of music there for you from Moon Shuttle. And yes, the Coco made music, but the Coco in its day needed to rely on the processor and the digital to analog converter. And so it was a task for the Coco to make music. So one of the things we have been talking about on Coco Talk and on our interviews and on the Coco Crew podcast is the whole idea of adding legitimate sound hardware to the color computer, adding actual synthesizers that are not only increase the quality and variety of the sound that's being made but to free up the processor of the system which is what other game systems had on there so that's great so we're back um uh and so we just heard a little bit from john strong who we hope to hear more from throughout the show um before we started barry nelson you were mentioning that and by the way in the live chat too we've just been joined by richard cavell our friend from across the pond in the jolly uk feel free to call in on skype if you'd like richard um, but Barry, you were mentioning that you had an update from Mr. Retro Innovations, Jim Brain himself. Uh, you want to share that with us? Well, it appears that uh, Jim is working on a Gimme chip plug-in that plugs into the Gimme chip socket, and the Gimme chip then plugs into this device, and it acts as a two-megabyte memory expansion. Oh yeah, and um, he's been developing that. And that will basically perform, you know, pretty much the same as some of the previous two meg RAM expansions for the Color Computer Three. That's so, cool. Yeah, we're yeah, no soldering to that. required. No soldering Ex required. No hacking yep. to the legs of your processor or anything like that, huh? Yep. 
no no soldering wires or jumpers or which a lot of that the previous solutions. <laughs> yeah, a, lo a lot of the previous solutions for adding two megs of RAM required soldering wires to the to the board, and this one does not. It just plugs into the gimme socket. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I do have one question about that that maybe also Bill Noble can speak to as well. But I've asked this question before is, in, on on the Coco: Is memory memory? So if you've got a two meg, is that the same thing as having five twelve? And will software written for five twelve Coco work on a two meg Coco? And I believe I've been told before the answer is typically a generic yes. However, generally. I Generally, 99% but yes. I would, but I did read something upon Roger Taylor's Facebook page on the uh, Coco Nano that Popstar Pilot would not run on his two meg implementation of the Coco Nano, and I don't know if that's just because it's new hardware or if this is a potential thing that some software under some circumstances won't work on two megs because it only expects five twelve. So I don't know if anybody can maybe I have give us. Uh, I've experienced that as well. And so I had a conversation recently with, uh, with Jim about this device that he's producing. And it will have a way of disabling the 2 meg expansion so that for software that only works with 512K that, has, that gets confused when it has 2 megs of memory, there'll be a way of basically shutting off the extra memory and making it appear as a stock 512K color computer. Hmm. Yeah, and as far as compatibility goes, there's the only two things that usually cause any issues is um, if you're moving your video RAM outside the regular 512K. The distal board, for example, had a special register you would set, you know, which 512K bank it was coming through, and it would wrap within a bank. You couldn't cross banks over, so that was one thing you had to be careful of. And the other thing is, is that the original upgrades had it so that they were uh, write-only registers for doing anything past 512K. So if you tried to read it back, like if you wrote some registers to set up your MMU and then you tried to read them back later on, and the Seer games originally did this, like King's Quest Three and Leisure Suit Larry, which is why they didn't work properly either, uh, originally until they were patched, because they tried to read the register back, and it'll only give you the lower six bits. So it'll only return as if it's 512K, but if you had your program running up in 1 meg, 2 meg, that's not where it is. So the game would get totally lost, trying to map stuff in that wasn't right, and crash. So that's, that's the two main compatibilities. Jim's Jim's solution should be able to actually read the full register back properly. Yeah, which although, means we shouldn't have to patch a lot of those. Okay. Uh, although you still may have to patch some of them because some of them have code in to discard the upper bits on the gimme when it reads them because those get those bits are not defined and they can return you know garbage bits there. So some software will have stuff in that masks off those upper bits when it reads it. So you might have to remove or no op out the mask. To get it to work yeah okay well i understood some of those words that came out of your mouth but that's cool <laughs> so it looks like um it, it looks like this isn't this is an issue it's a known issue and there are some potential workarounds for it but the percentage of things that are affected by this is probably relatively small yeah um yeah and, okay and 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 my my plan is to work with jim and so the board will come up probably um uh, i'm going to suggest that the board come up in 512K compatibility mode. Mm, and, and you can like, and, turn it on or unlock it or something. And, right, and then if you're running OS 9, the, you know, we'll have a, a command or a driver or something that will unlock it for OS 9 to see two megs. And um, if you're running basic, there'll just be a, a command that you run that will unlock it to bring up the full memory. Okay, somebody needs to grab that phone. It might be important. 
<laughs> yeah, I heard it. <laughs> the yeah, next design should be, be pretty easy to patch. You just should have to patch the REL module when it first boots and relocates and kicks it in native mode, etc. Why don't we just run a firmware update and flash the BIOS on the Cocoa and take care of it that way? Well, then you got to desolder the ROM <laughs> chips. And, and we're back to soldering again. What are you doing? I'm uh, not even going to touch that one. <laughs> David There's I nothing wrong it. with unsoldering anything. Come on. <laughs> and, and Barry, I also want to say I do appreciate seeing your updates on the Color Computer mailing list where you do share your little stories of your family gaming night where you and your daughters play color computer games that's pretty cool and uh, it's nice to see that a few people have posted some pictures too of of like you know parents and kids playing together on a on a trs 80 system i saw somebody showing a picture of like a model one doing a similar thing so um that's cool i'm glad i'm glad your kids are into the cocoa and you guys are enjoying it as a family that's it's actually pretty cool it's very cool actually so thanks for sharing those with us well, Barry, I have to mention it by the looks of, of how often you get beaten by your kids. I think you have to talk <laughs> more. Uh, and Simon Jonason, the madman, has just joined us. Hello, Simon. How's it going? I'm still recovering from my eyes and ears that have been melted. My brain had been melted and was dripping out of my sides of my head by watching Simon's videos because he's overclocked my brain's capacity to understand the universe when I look into the plasma effects of his demos, and it's uh, it's pretty cool stuff. <laughs> we ain't done yet, mate. We ain't done yet. And uh, also with us in the call, Richard Lorbieski, who we will be seeing at Tandy Assembly in two weeks from now. It's hard to believe Tandy Assembly is going to be here in two weeks. And so anything else you can share with us on what we can expect to see from you or what you're looking forward to doing at Tandy Assembly or seeing or hearing and stuff like that? Oh, I've been uh, busy making uh, cables for the uh, HDMI uh, conversion. Uh, I, I've been... I, I was trying to release them this on the fifteenth, but uh, work has been uh, very uh, place at work has been very very busy. So yes. I'm just going to wait till uh, Tandy Assembly and just sell them there. I have uh, one. I have one wish, and that wish was that somehow all of us cocoa enthusiasts did not have the financial burdens of having to struggle with these job things and we could just focus on what's really important and make cocoa stuff for the world to enjoy that is my one wish for the universe and somehow we'll figure out a way to make that happen but in the meantime yeah, that's, oh that's part of my re my lottery retirement <laughs> savings plan <laughs> I, you know, i'd love to do yet. that too it's just that right now uh since we have the, the two hurricanes in florida and mm -hmm. and uh houston and then yeah. of course we have the uh, earthquake in Mexico, we have a lot of our customers in those areas, and we have just been extremely busy with repairs. Yeah. And so, yeah, because yeah, Mexico um, just had the third quake, too. So, no, yeah, seems... yeah, we have an office, <laughs> it's not Mexico City, but we have uh, it's it's north of Mexico City, and uh, <laughs> they've been busy, so we've been taking up the slack as well. And, and Karen Enscombe is with us in the live chat. Sixy, Karen, creator of XROAR, greatest emulator. Uh, for the color computer one two and dragon and sexy says yes we need universal cocoa income <laughs> <laughs> so so that uh hdmi is that uh, based on my uh rgb to uh, escort to hdmi um, oh yes i forgot to mention it is based on barry's design i just made a couple of uh, little enhancements the uh the sound uh portion of it is not hardwired into pin seven of the rgb connector I have those external, so you can hook them up 
to the uh, audio port on the back of the Coco, or you can hook them up to like a uh, Orchestra 90 card or something like that. Oh, interesting. Okay, and you're getting. Are you getting the sync signal from the composite line, or? Yes, yes. Uh, I haven't modified that. The only, the only modification I did was uh, I increased the resistance to 180 ohms instead of the 100 ohm, um, because there's some designs that call for that, and so. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. The, it, it, the... it seems to work. So. Yeah, the voltage there is, you know, it just needs to be within a certain range. There right. was one person that was working on a design that um, they actually stuck in a small voltage regulator there to lock at it at two, at two volts. Right. I was I was actually going to do that, but I was like, this is too much trouble. So I just put the resistor in there, and it works just fine. So, Well, let's see. If you put about three, three silicone diodes in series... Mm-hmm. Uh, that that would be about what 1.8 volts of voltage right. drop. Yeah. Right. You always do something like that. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. there's. I was gonna say, wouldn't it be yeah, easier to throw in a flux capacitor there? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get that cable yeah. up to 1.21 gigawatts, and boom, all your problems are solved. <laughs> well, well the, but then all your software would run backwards. Yeah, you got to right. get your cocoa up to 88 miles per hour before that thing kicks in, too. So. <laughs> Yeah, and the other the other cable I've been uh, working on is I had bought a bunch of the uh, NEC monitors that work at 15 kilohertz, uh, the uh, flat screen monitors, and I've made uh, pass through cables uh, for that, so it just hooks directly to the monitor itself. You have to align it a little bit, and it and it's it's good. It's I workable. Have, I used to have one of those. Neat. Are those still so, available, or are those you have to buy used or old now? Well, the ones that I came across, they were new in stock, new and fresh in the box, and I got three left, and uh, I'll make those available. And then, of course, the cable that goes with it. No, well, those cool. are really good monitors. I used to use one. Um, they, they, they work pretty well. They have a higher dot pitch than the Tandy monitor, if I recall, mm. a much sharper picture. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not exactly a perfect picture, but it's it's good uh, because there's just some col- you see jail bars and things like that, and and I might have to modify something on the color computer board itself. So I, I just haven't had time to really play with it. What's that you're saying about jail bars or so? What? Uh, it it has the some you, in some color modes you can see the the this jail bars going across um, the uh, on the uh, vertical. Really? Yes. Hmm. I never had that problem. These are NEC multi-syncs? Or? Right. These are the NEC 71Vs. Hmm. Oh, 71V. Okay. So that's a modern flat screen that happens to support the 15 kilohertz, if I right. recall. Right. It's an, it's an undocumented uh, uh, feature of that particular I love, monitor. I love that term. Undocumented <laughs> feature. Yeah, it, oh, was okay. ac- it was accidentally discovered, and, and uh, so people have bought those. Uh, they've been buying them for years, but they've oh, been wow. mainly mainly using them for the Amiga because it operates at 24 kilohertz. Neat. Yeah, it operates both 15 and 24, yeah. Yeah, the NEC I used to have was uh, an NEC, an old NEC multi-sync CRT monitor. That's the one I was thinking about. Right. So oh, I no, no. I haven't oh, this, seen one of these uh, flat screens that runs at 15 kilohertz and how it works yet. Right, it, so. it's okay, it's okay, but it's it, you know it's not exactly perfect in 80 column mode and 40 column. It's 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 great, but hmm. 
Cool stuff. Yeah, so, well, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. We're seeing more and more people on Facebook now chiming in that they will be at Tandy Assembly. So I think all indications, if I was to uh, lift up my magic eight ball, I believe the message I would see is all indications lead to success right now because I think Tandy Assembly is going to just be, um, you know, a, a rocking event. So I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm, it's going to be nice to have a new, a new event to go to that's in our wheelhouse and, um, you know, and it's going to have a slightly broader audience and we'll have more things to look at. Not that it's bad to look at a bunch of Cocos, but it's kind of cool, too, to maybe look at some other TRS-80 and Tandy machines uh, out there on the floor as well and to see the whole family, you know, the extended family. So um, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, you got more stuff for us, Richard? Are we going to continue to go around the room or are you good for us? Oh. Yeah, I guess the only other thing is I'm going to be selling uh, the 6309 processors there uh, really cheap. So if you're look, <laughs> looking for some, I'm going to, uh, like okay. I said, it, it'll... And you're doing installs too, correct? Yes, and I will do installs. Okay. Uh, you know Have you I'll got do... a price set for that? Uh, to install it, 30 bucks. That includes That's the processor and everything. Parts and labor? Parts and labor. You're a cheap date. Wow. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Um, okay. So I think what I'm going to do is I'll take a head count of, of how many cocos I have that uh, already have the labels broken, and I'll maybe I'll just pick up one for each cocoa, and I'll I'll put sixty three hundred nines in my cocoa ones and twos as well, just for grins and giggles. <laughs> David yep. Head says we should have universal OS nine income as well. So yeah, yeah, any type of universal income for cocoa enthusiasts would definitely be appreciated if we can get the world leaders to come together. And work on we that. You get 100% so, tax breaks for that too. Yes, yes. If we could just have our, you know, basic living expenses covered and not have to focus on that, and we can then focus on making cocoa great again, uh, the world would definitely be a better place. So, very cool stuff. Well, yeah, we look forward to that. Um, Bill Noble, how are you today, sir? Pretty good. I, I notice. I don't know. I don't know if you're able to switch to camera view and show us your shiny new mug, but I notice you posted a picture of your new Coco Talk mug, and it looks quite elegant, sir, I must say. Speaking of our Back to the Future references, it is kind of a stainless steel DeLorean-looking drinking vessel, and um, it's very cool. And so for those of you, if you can't see Bill's, I'm not sure if Bill will be able to show hers, but here is the um, regular Coco Talk mug, which, shameless plug, you can get at our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. But it is a... It's, it's metal. So Bill got the one that actually looks like stainless steel or brushed steel. It's very cool effect. Um, I like the way that looks. He put a picture of it in a Skype call. Of course, I didn't get a chance to. Maybe later I'll pull it up and show it. Um, but yeah, that mug looks cool. I like I, I use this mug a lot. Forget the fact that it says Cocoa Talk on it. It's a good mug. You know, It keeps your coffee hot. It keeps cold things cold. I travel with this all the time, so I, I love my mug. I'm looking yeah, forward it's to it. It's a double-layer insulated, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, double-layer. So yeah. you got the inner the inner chamber keeps your beverage, whatever temperature that is, and the outer chamber keeps I'm going to have your... to order two of those here at the end of the month. <laughs> it, it keeps it keeps hot stuff hot, too, huh? And that, does mm -hmm. that mean you can put hot Quite cocoa nicely, in it? Actually. Yeah, I'm drinking that my mean... coffee right now. Hot cocoa in your Cocoa Talk mug, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Cocoa any... Puffs if you want something cold. Cocoa Puffs. I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Anything new in the world of projects for you, Bill Noble? You're working on anything new with OS9 or the uh, Coco Nano project or anything? Uh, not too much lately. Uh, been kind of busy with work, uh, but I there did was actually that W word again. <laughs> yeah. 
But I did come across uh, an actual uh, source code disassembly of uh, one of the Williams Arcade games called Robotron. <laughs> oh, neat. That I've been looking at. Neat, neat, neat. Glenn Taylor just joined us in the live chat. Hey, Glenn Taylor, good afternoon to you. And by the way, because this is a brand new channel, make sure you subscribe. Hit the subscribe button while you're watching live because all new Coco content will be showing up here. Um, yeah, that would be really cool. The more the more arcade games we can get running on the Coco, we've seen these transcodes and, and a lot of the Williams stuff, what was written for the 6309, so there's less code conversion, now just more like subsystem emulation that needs to take place for some of the graphics, uh, audio and video uh, chips and stuff, right? Well, the one thing I have noticed so far is I don't know how Williams actually did this, but they actually have their source code uh, looking to be fully object orientated. Really? Yes. So they had some other type of development tool set to, to create ob object oriented code? It looks that way, yes. Wow. And you can tell that by looking at the code. Yeah, you, and it's actually not that difficult to follow either. Okay. You've been spending a lot of time in the Matrix, my friend. <laughs> 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 that is cool. That is so cool. Look forward to seeing more, more things like that. Even just to have that stuff posted somewhere where you can look at it. I don't know if that's violating a copyright at this point. I mean, there's so much stuff floating around out there. But it'd be a cool thing, like, you know, um, Glenn Hewlett's posting his blog about uh, assembly language optimizations. If we could look at source code and see how people have written assembly language code for the 6809 as just a reference and a, and a historical marvel, that would be kind of cool to see. Um, and and I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but Rick Adams has joined us a minute or two ago. Hello, welcome, Rick Adams. Speaking of people we haven't had on the show in a while, it's great to have you back too, Rick Adams. Hello, I'm kind of here. Okay, and welcome. Welcome to Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Great to have you, and, and now, of course, we're making our way around here. We're looking at the very handsome debonair David Ladd, who has also had a, 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 a little bit of the uh, mega bug. And so uh -huh. are you getting over your mega bug, David Ladd? I was. <laughs> you were. We <laughs> <laughs> <He> got you. <laughs> That's the official term now. Whenever a color computer enthusiast is sick now, we've got the mega bugs. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to play microscopic mission to try to get rid of there it. There you go. Micro or, or microbes to shoot out all the yep. infections there. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's actually a great new, co uh, that, that's uh, that's actually a really good uh, Coco game. We can tie all this together. We can have Coco colonoscopy where we can fly around and shoot out polyps. <laughs> yeah, or if you want to even go smaller, you can bring up Adam, go down Adam. to the molecular level. <laughs> there you go. It just, the hits keep coming, folks. <laughs> I, I'm just glad that Coco 3 doesn't have VJ style graphics for your colonoscopy game. <laughs> Grant Lady says, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting some face palms and groans in the audience out there now. So. That's not a that's normal episode. <laughs> yeah, but Steve, that's because everybody's getting to the age of the colon Yes, stuff. we do need the Coco colonoscopy kit at home. Where we <laughs> The at-home colonoscopy kit. Now, is that SCART compatible? Or? <laughs> SCART compatible. Oh, man. Oh. 
So what's new in your world, David? I know you've mentioned you've had to redo your PC. You're going through the Windows 10 woes, which I have had to do a handful of times recently. So that's always a fun time suck, right? Mm, yeah, I kind of put the downloads on pause f so that you could actually hear me while we're on the <laughs> That's why if, if, if I had, you know, eight hours of billable time for every time I've had to spend eight hours of my life redoing my Windows 10 setup, I could probably buy some nice hardware right now. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, any projects you've been working on, anything you've been breaking or fixing or getting accolades for lately? No, haven't really broken anything unless, of course, you call putting off reinstalling Windows until it finally decides <laughs> to broke You broke your out. PC. <laughs> David has broke his PC, right? Or you're fixing your well, PC then. Yes, Windows. <laughs> usually, it's usually Windows should be reinstalled about every year, but yeah, I've never cleanly installed it since the upgrade from Windows Seven. So it's it was just time. Yeah, time it to... decided to say I want you to reinstall me because I ain't let you in anymore. Right. I haven't. Yeah. I've got some machines here I haven't reinstalled in uh, a few years. I've upgraded them, etc. Yeah. I've gone. I've gone in and given them the computer, the computer version of a colonoscopy a few times though. <laughs> <laughs> Red clean. Yes. It seems like Windows 10 is. Uh, is it, it's a decent operating system, but if you've upgraded to it, it it. It has emotional baggage that comes back to haunt you over time. And I've even had it to the point where I've done clean installs, and I've had to clean install the clean install a second or third time before it would finally work consistently. So, yeah, I've, I've four times I've put Windows 10 on my computer, and I, I think the fourth time was a charm right now for the moment anyway. So. And Nick complains about Nitrous 9. <laughs> Uh, all right, David. Well, you know, you were you had the mega bug, so you didn't get a chance to break too much. You had computer challenges, so we'll let you slide this week without um, uh, having a lot to report there. So uh, you got your pass. <laughs> uh huh. And uh -huh. I, I don't know. I think there's someone that had a topic that they wanted for the discussion later, so we'll probably still have something. Oh, did we? Who was that? Richard. Oh, that was Richard. Richard. Okay, Richard did yeah, say that. Yeah, that was me in the STC okay. card and drive one, yeah, but we can go. do that later. All right. And Rick Adams, legendary game designer. Uh, uh, Rhett, uh, 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 what's, the, what's the thing called? The uh, Raspberry Pi LED aficionado himself is here with us, too. Uh, what's new and exciting in your world, Rick Adams? Well, i got to help poor John Strong with his LEDs, or, or else he's going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> He says his wife is asking, what is this for? So we got to get those working so that she knows, you know, if he, he watched your, money. If he watched your keynote, he would know the answer was, oh, these are Christmas lights, honey. Christmas lights, yeah, yeah that's it, Christmas lights. <laughs> we got them early so we can do them for Halloween, too. Yeah, right? It's multi-purpose, yeah. It's it's ironic you were you that display you've made now that shows the Tandy assembly screen and it shows the bomb threat moving back and forth stuff. It's a really really impressive display and it's and it's large and it's pretty and it's shiny and stuff. But the amount of money you sunk into it 
could you not have just gotten a big old HDMI television and <laughs> just put it up on I'm a TV? I'm sure I could have. <laughs> but that's it not a project. It wouldn't have been as much fun. Yes, yeah. it wouldn't have been a project. <laughs> I, I find it funny, too, because back in, Bill, you can remind me when this was. This was the late 80s, early 90s. You actually did a project on a cocoa running LED lights for a company down in Moose Jaw, didn't you? That was out uh, of uh, Alfred. Uh, the guy had, uh, he actually had chained together yeah, uh, some actual commercial uh, lights uh, that actually did a sign and I had it uh, being controlled by Coco through an RS-232 yeah I remember you working on that project very very cool so do you have any updates for us on on bomb threat the cartridge that we know it, we know it's going to be in a cartridge we've seen we the cartridges we know it's there yep. and it will be at the show it will be at the show. I'm uh, looking forward to that. So it's kind of like I'm not doing anything on 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 bomb threat anymore, which is it's a weird feeling. It's like it's consumed my life for you know three or four months, and now there's nothing to do. So nothing to uh, do now, but sell it and rake in the cash. Oh huh? uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> rake it in. Yeah, I'll be buying you know a couple of you know Whopper meals with that with all that money. So that'll be awesome. You're looking but forward you say, to somebody saying, "We you know, like fries with that." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you say, "Why didn't you just get a big display?" You know, and you don't, so you don't have to do all these hundreds of LEDs. And it's like, well, the answer is, if I did that, nobody would be coming up and going, "Holy cow! How did you do that?" Exactly. You that's know? true. So, that's one hundred percent true. Right. How did you plug in that television, Rick Adams? Do tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not, a you know, fascinating yeah, boy, project. Not, not just anybody can plug in a television. <laughs> yeah. That's true, and it's it is a cool project, and you're literally making something your, yourself too. So there's something cool about that. Um, uh, very very cool stuff. And then we'll get back to Simon in just a second. So we've gone around the room. Uh, we are going to take another quick commercial break and then we'll um, come back and look at some uh, feedback and things like that and we'll go on with more of the show. So don't go anywhere. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll be back in two and two. Let the Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. And when you're done watching, come over and listen to the Coco Crew Podcast. What's going on, everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy Color Computer Links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Coco forever, people. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, 
manages, it's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2, sale price for Christmas, only at Radio Shack. I'm Evan Wright, author of Flooded for the Color Computer, and you're listening to original gamer Steve Stroh. And we're back after a word from our sponsors. And Bosco has joined us in the live chat. Steve Bamford. Welcome, Steve Bamford. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Have you got your Coco 3 yet, Steve Bamford? That's the question that we want to know. And we're back with Coco Talk Live. We're episode 27. We have passed the six-month mark. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, Simon Jonas. And we're going to show off some of your demos in a little bit. But other than the obvious demos that we're going to show, what else you want to talk to us about lately, what you've been doing in the world of retro computing to make the world a better place? Me? Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to put this demo together for assembly. Yeah. So it's a case of taking old stuff, making it faster, putting it with the music, packing it. It's going to be multi-part in 64K. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll show some of those clips. You've been putting stuff out there on Facebook, and it's it's literally mind-blowing stuff. So I would I would caution all of you to make sure you put on your tinfoil helmets and um, <laughs> you know put put the black electrical tape over all the cameras on your devices and things like this because you will have a lot of infusion coming into your world when you watch these videos so um, very cool stuff very very cool we're good to, we're, we're, we're really it's always exciting for me to to, um, to uh, go to the Facebook page or go to the mailing list and, and see what's new and exciting and what people are doing with the color computer so let's do just some feedback and announcements and we got a really good um we got a really nice letter too from brendan donahy he he wrote an email recently just some feedback thanking us for doing the show and brendan donahy was basically saying you know i don't have time to watch on saturdays and i don't always have time to watch a video but i've really enjoyed being able to um you know, listen to Coco Talk in podcast format. And so he's enjoyed that. So he wrote a little email. So I want to thank Brendan for, for that feedback. He also said thank you for mentioning my projects, which, you know, that's that's what we do. So, you know, so that was kind of cool to hear that. Now, last week's Coco Talk episode 26 um, right now has 156 views, and that's pretty much on par. We seem to average about 100 to 200 views per week, which is really impressive, honestly, due to the obscurity of what we're talking about. The fact that this many people watch this, it's really, really impressive, right? Before that, the episode 25 Hurricane Irma edition got about 163 views. The little segment of Nick in Australia, that got 100 views. Coco Talk, 24, 181 views. 23 has gotten 200 views. So you can see here that, um, that you know, the show is consistently being watched by people, and, and I certainly appreciate that. So for everybody who watches, I definitely want to say thank you for watching. Our podcast numbers right now, we are at uh, 1,562 downloads to the audio episode. So that's a, that's a respectable number, too. We have not quite reached the two-month mark, so that's pretty good. Right now, watching us, we've got 14 people watching us live. That's certainly not bad. I want to let you guys all know that, yes, Coco Talk has a website, which is where you can go to get to things. So the website is just called Coco Talk. 
CocoTot.live. And from CocoTot.live, you'll be able to watch all the previous episodes. They're compiled in a playlist. You can click on a link to get to the podcast. I want to point some things out to you on the sidebar here, too. So we recently opened up a Patreon page, which you can get to as well if you want to support our endeavors and uh, make a, a, an ongoing uh, monthly contribution. That is there. I've created a Facebook page for Coco Talk that we will be sharing information on and sharing the event to remind people when we're live. I've just added Coco Talk to LinkedIn and I've gotten some pretty good um, feedback already on that because this is this is a legitimate thing that we're doing even though we're having fun and we're talking about a vintage system podcasting is a legitimate industry and and our I, I, I believe our show is a legitimate show so there is a LinkedIn company profile for Coco Talk and if you guys are members of the show I would encourage you all to go there and add yourself as an employee of Coco Talk because technically you are you're not getting paid and it's not going to mean you're going to get a paycheck all of a sudden but you're part of something which I think is something special so um, if you watch our show I would say maybe do us a favor and go over to LinkedIn and um, follow that page and maybe write us a little review there saying that you enjoy the show so there'll be a link to that on our Coco Talk page and and there you have it so coco talk live is a thing what's going on in um in the world of the color computer facebook group right now well it looks like ed snyder's up to some shenanigans right now so it looks like ed's drawing some pictures and some circuit boards and some logical diagrams here so uh <laughs> you never know what's going to come out of the mind and the soldering bench of ed snyder so that looks kind of interesting um this is a picture that somebody just posted recently patrick uh, Ewing, as now that sounds like a guy who was in a movie, a uh, TV show or something. Doesn't that sound like a celebrity name? There, Patrick. There Ewing? was a Patrick Ewing who was a star player for the NBA's <laughs> okay. uh, Nets. Yeah. Now this is an impressive setup if you look at this. Now, now you look at this today, you're thinking, "Holy 1970s Batman!" But I mean, that's a big ass TV there. The Sony television. He's got a Coco double floppy drives. He's got a modem here, speakerphone, a printer over here. If you had to add up what all that equipment costs, and he's even got some price tags on here, there's probably two thousand dollars worth of equipment on these two shelves here. And and today, two thousand dollars is a lot of money. And in, in the 80s, two thousand dollars was a heck of a lot more money so honestly and look at the vhs tapes he's got going on here too i mean this was just nothing but multimedia goodness here the, the most impressive part of that for me <laughs> was the custom desk that the keyboard had actually recessed into oh look at that yeah i didn't realize that that's a cutout where the cocoa's underneath there that is that is pretty impressive so here's the other picture here's another picture here of family computing so this looks like a model three or four and it looks like you know we got some family members and some youngins playing too i love to see stuff like that when you get the you get the young kids playing on the old systems that's always good stuff here here's some uh trs80 stuff here posted by brian taylor so here speaking of simon jonason let's go ahead and zoom in on this right here So this is one of Simon's uh, infamous fire displays. We've seen we've seen this before in an interview we had a while ago, but this looks really good. The animation is very very um, fluid, very smooth, very hypnotic. The uh, amount of color that we have going on there is great. And not only do we have the animated flames, but we've got background music going with it too. So that's a pretty cool uh, demo there, Simon. And Nick Morentis just joined us 
from Australia. Good day, Nick. How are you? Good day, everyone. We haven't had Nick on in a little bit. Nick has been busy too, so we'll get back to you in a minute. Um, Nick, thanks for joining us. So that's pretty cool. Nice little display there. Uh, here's another one of Simon's demos. And if, Simon, did you want to? You want? Did you want to comment on this at all about what you did to make these fanning flames here? Uh, the flames are actually too slow at the moment. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to speed that up with the music because music is taking like fifty percent of your CPU time. Yeah, well, I would. I mean, if you want to compare it to a real flame, I would say okay, maybe it's a little slow. But honestly, just as a display, I find it to be both soothing and hypnotic too. So um, it's, not, it's, it's not quite fast enough for the demo, but I'm working on it. If you okay. take, if you grab the vector, that's that's very fast, but that's okay. still not fast enough because my good friend Sockmaster thinks, well, yeah, okay, you can get eighty percent more CPU out of that. Wow, wow, it's hard to imagine, huh? So this is the latest vector right here? Yeah, with the two ones. Okay, let's get the music back. I'm going to lower the music just a little bit. I'm not sure how it's coming through on the live. Yeah, it's really impressive. I love I love that uh, that Sid sounding music too. That kind of uh, kind of reminds me of a Commodore sixty four and an Amiga. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's my that's my good friend Utz uh, from the One Bit ZX Spectrum scene. He's the he's the brilliance behind the music. Yeah, uh, Grant Leedy says hello to Nick. He says we've missed your OS nine rants, Nick. <laughs> okay, I mean, OS nine praise, or is this who, yes. who, who's on? Is it is Nick this Nick Marentis? Yeah, I wasn't Marinus. sure which Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so this plasma display is one of my favorites. Now it's it what what it's gonna it's really hard to not appreciate how much technology and how much coding has to go into making all this stuff happen when you've only got one CPU to do it all. The CPU has to do the math, has to do the graphic rendering, has to be generating the digital to analog conversion for the sound and to keep the frame rates and the double buffering and not the flickering and stuff. There's so much sorcery and science and voodoo black magic going on here that it's real easy to take this for granted by saying, yeah, dude, my Xbox sounds a hell of a lot better than that. But um, this is really impressive stuff. And as, as impressive as to me, I love the wireframe and I love the vector graphics. I'm a sucker for a plasma display too. And I, I, this is my personal favorite of all your Simon, is these, these plasma guys here. So let's go ahead and, and fire him up real quick. Song sounds a little familiar. <laughs> That song is five minutes long. That's a five-minute tune. Okay, I got you. Yeah, it's really cool. It's very hypnotic. So, like I said, the song is actually five minutes long. Um, so you're only getting twenty-second snippets because I'm not going to give it all until assembly. Right, 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 right. Here's here's one of Barry Nelson's postings showing Castle Guard. Tonight's game of the evening was two games. First, we played more Arkanoid. 
I actually got the high score this session, although I didn't beat my daughter's previous score. And then we played Castle Guard. I actually won one of the three games. <laughs> so, not bad, Barry. Uh, this one I thought was really cool. Th- there was a time in history when, you know, you know, Tandy and Radio Shack had these literally comic books, right? So what, they were, what were they called? The TRS-80 Wiz Kids, right? Yeah. And so it was a comic book series, and it was just the thing, you know, give out a comic book to the kids, and maybe they'll buy a computer. And, of course, strategically placed within the stories were the kids and the TRS-80 computers. And somehow, in this situation here, the color computer ended up saving the day. Uh, And you can see here Wonder Woman and Superman praising these kids and praising the color computer for stopping the evil Lex Luthor, which was... (laughs) Pretty, you know, you think about it now, it's kind of a cheesy, crowbar product placement type thing. But, you know, don't, that still happens today. But it's kind of cool. Now, this looks like an original drawing before it got went off to print because you see a bunch of handwriting on the image here. Right. Kurt Swan was the artist, I guess. So the artist who drew this must have a Facebook page, too. This one's got some penciling on it and you can see some handwritten things. So this looks like what was probably inked before it was, you know, sent off to be colored and stuff so that's actually would be kind of a cool collectible to have that yeah uh, kurt swan is actually one of the most famous artists for superman for decades ah okay okay very cool yeah and so, i'll have to dig in my comic collection downstairs when i get some time here but i think i might even still have some of the original whiz kids comic books so i have to bring one up to i, I would love to have some i mean now of course for nostalgia reasons i would love to have some you know um yeah so i would have was, to say that's the largest color computer I've ever seen. Yeah, right? And look at the size of that key, too. What kind of lock does that thing go in? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, here's uh, Bruce Moore showing off the picture of his Forest of Doom um, strategy guide. And I don't know if Bruce is going to join us today, but he was basically saying that. Now, when he's not going to be necessarily selling the game. But he'll be selling the book, and if you buy the book, you'll get a link to to download the Forest of Dune game, which has been his his project. And and so this was one he produced for himself as a proof, and I guess somebody wanted to have that as a collectible uh, to have the first ever Forest of Doom book. And so it, that's kind of cool, right? So yep. he sold his proof to a collector. Um, Ed Snyder. Uh, Steve, just us. to interject briefly here, I've, I've noticed sure. a couple messages flying by in the live chat. Apparently, the regular YouTube channel is showing the wrong chat. The regular YouTube channel, like not the new Coco one. Uh, I'm look. I'm looking at the live chat right now. I see Grant Leedy. Um, hold on. On the. Oh, hold on. Oh, I see what you're saying here in the in the in the live stream here. That is wrong, huh? Okay, yeah. you're getting a lot of spam. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a lot of spam, huh? Okay, well that's gone. Interesting. Thanks for thanks for interjecting and thanks for letting me know. I wasn't even looking at that. So where do we just go? I got I got I got sidetracked. Let me fix that real quick. Let me copy and paste. Um, I updated the chat and I thought that that would automatically get. Um, get fixed everywhere else so when I go back to my full screen message right now um, we'll go back to where we are and I'm gonna try to paste this I pasted the wrong thing I think hold on thanks and folks this is how the sausage is made (laughs) (laughs) all right so we're gonna try this again we're gonna click on YouTube live chat I'm gonna hit copy I'm gonna go back here to my full screen doohiggy and I'm gonna hit uh, hit paste again. 
Okay, so that one's been fixed. Who knows where else that will show up. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Sidebar chat is from your other channel. When I switch screens, I see that. Thank you. Thank you, Bosco. All right. Yeah, Grant so there, and Bosco both were mentioning it, so. Okay, thanks, yeah, guys. I'm going to inter interrupt here a minute and say I'm going to log off here. You guys have a great couple All right, John. John, thank, John Strong, thanks for joining us. Um, Later, we'll get, John. We'll get to um, we'll get to more um, Coco Facebook stuff um, later on. So that was kind of cool just to to show some of that stuff off. Um, and now that Nick Barentes is back with us, uh, welcome back, Nick. Good day. Glad to have you back on Coco Talk. It hasn't been the same without you. G'day, everyone. Uh, I've been very busy uh, the last month. I haven't turned on my Coco. I forgot. Even, I forgot. What even even looks like lately? <laughs> oh, you're in the same boat as me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we've been very busy. We've been trying to sell a house and purchase a house, and um, I've been doing the quick run around to re do repairs and tidy things up um, before the uh, it goes officially on sale. And at the same time, negotiating with real estate agents and all the other headaches that go with it. Well, uh, so yeah, it's just so much happening uh, over the next few months. I'll be glad it's all over so I can get back to I was uh, to um, back to I was nine bashing. <laughs> I was nine bashing. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't hear that last syllable. You, you gotta. You got to be in the right frame of mind to trash something. You can't do it yeah. half half hearted. I, I assume there's been a whole lot of OS nine new programs and projects already started in my absence. Uh, yes, yes. There's been. Uh, <laughs> it's completely automated and plug and play now. It's a universal app that runs on all firmware and hardware devices. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, welcome back, Nick. We're we're always uh, always happy to have you here. And John Strong, thanks for being here. I think John said he had to go soon. Um, we have to, um, do our tech question here in just a minute. So right before we do our quick, our tech, um, segment, we'll go ahead and take one other commercial break and then we'll come back. And then Richard Lorbieski has a tech question that hopefully some of us will be able to answer. Probably won't be me. All right. So we'll be back here in just a minute, folks. Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom in Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? Original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get Ama Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. 
Hi, I'm Alan Huffman of Subbeat the Software. I won an award and I have a cool shirt. And you're watching the original gamer do old stuff. Hey, this is John Strong. Bleep, 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 <laughs> blooper time. <laughs> you're watching the original gamer, CV Strong. And we're back. We are back to Coco Talk. After a word from our sponsors, it's good to see that, you know, Radio Shack is still alive and strong in 2017 and still cranking out those commercials and still have plenty of product for us to purchase. Um, I think, you know, when I think of Radio Shack, I think innovation. You know, you, you know, you have these companies like these wannabe companies like Apple who throw crap out there, but Radio Shack has never steered us wrong. They've always produced a quality product for the uh, consumers. So, <laughs> Yeah, with all the built-in add-ons you wanted right off the start, you didn't have to buy anything extra or add little hacks on. Deskmate. <laughs> so, good stuff. Sound speech back. Anyway. It, yeah. it's, it, seemed, it, seemed, it seems some of the, uh, the franchises have managed to survive. That the uh, individual owned stores for Radio Shacks, I've heard that some of them are still open. Yeah, true, true. That's um, ironic, but also fortunate too, right? So they're um, they're 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 that that is able to happen. All yeah, right, well, actually, some of them are doing better now that they're not commanded by the mother company anymore. Either, so. From what I've heard, most of them are doing better now that they're not commanded by the mother company. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we're going to do Tech Talk, but before we do Tech Talk, because this is a professional show and this is a well-oiled machine and a highly produced uh, show, we're going to have a little infographic here that's going to lead us into Tech Talk. So hold on just a second here. It is time for Tech Talk with David Ladd and Curtis Doyle. Take it away, Tech Dudes. You gotta love that Curtis Boyle guitar riff there, huh? That's that's our that's our very own color computer rock star Curtis Boyle there cranking out on the guitar, and uh, so Richard has technical questions for us. You got questions, we got answers. There you go, the little Radio Shack slogan there for you. So oh boy, <laughs> what questions do you have for us today, Richard? Okay, so what I'm running is I, I'm I'm finally getting to delve into the. Uh, really into the coco 3 and i have an sdc card and i have it hooked up to drive wire 4 and i've downloaded all that and uh one of the questions i i had earlier the week it was how to uh make dsk images just from straight from the sdc card uh, but barry actually gave me a link to his uh visual uh hard drive and i downloaded that and played around with it but uh, my question is uh, as I'm trying to optimize uh, my DriveWire 4, uh, what I like about the DriveWire 4 is you can able to uh, access and get the uh, clock, uh, real-time clock, and mm -hmm. it's a lot more accurate. Uh, so what I'm trying to do is boot up with the SDC image of Nitrous 09 and then access DriveWire that way. Uh, the only way I've got it to work is I downloaded a stock image of Nitrous 9 that was specifically for the drive wire, and I loaded it up in DriveWire uh, in the, that virtual drive on, the, on my uh, Windows 10. 
on my SDC card, I mounted it, you know, I did the command, it says, you know, drive zero, uh, I believe, pound zero, which then loaded it up, and I could boot it that way. But what I'd like to do is to boot it, mount that image, or any image, that will boot off the SDC card, and then access DriveWire that way. I can help you with that, if you're using my image. Okay. The, if you type load space DriveWire underscore mods, it won't get you the clock, but it will get you everything else. So you'll have the MIDI, you'll have the DriveWire drives, X, X0, X1, X2, X3, um, all of the uh, DriveWire terminal information, all that stuff will load if you type like, load DriveWire underscore mods. And okay. You can access, and that will load all the modules in. Okay, uh, I, I didn't know that because when I when I loaded yours and I just type in you know D, DW for DriveWire, I got an error two twenty one saying module not there. So I was just like okay, uh, and and I looked at the the docs uh, documentation for DriveWire four and it was kind of a little uh, I didn't I didn't quite understand it because it, it said to mount an image in SDC and then mount an, the same image. In DriveWire and boot it up that way, and it still didn't work that way. And uh, that's why I was kind of, again, these are the questions I had. Yeah, the other thing you can, well, yeah, basically the easiest way to do is is boot my SDC image and then load DriveWire underscore mods. Now, as far as getting the clock working, um, that's, you know, the problem there is when you boot up, you would have to have the DriveWire modules in your boot already and i'm not loading them that way because of memory so i only load them when i need them okay um yeah i am uh, one of my projects i've been futzing around with from time is running a little standalone module that accesses the drive wire clock um from a you know and sets the clock based on uh on drive wire to a, a non-drive wire boot okay but so i don't have that working yet Okay, so which which modules does DriveWire use in uh, Nitrous Nine? Okay, it, that would be um, DWIO. DWIO. Would, yep. Um, let me get the exact list here for you because there's actually different ones depending on which cocoa that you're um, using. Okay. Because there's the one f one for the cocoa three, one for the cocoa two, and one for the cocoa one. Um, my, my boot is uh, Nitrous 9 level 2, so he'd be running a Coco 3, am I right? Right. Yep. Yeah, you can type ident space minus s for short um, space slash dd slash cmds slash drivewire underscore mods, and that'll give you the list of the modules that I've got loaded in my in my pack there. Okay. No, I think Bill did something for me, too. Um Bill had given me a pre-configured um, OS9 disk image that I mounted in the Coco SDC, and it somehow picked up the real-time clock through DriveWire, but I don't know how Bill did that. But as long as I had DriveWire running and I had that hardwired serial cable from my Coco to my PC, it did pick up the clock. But um, I Yeah, it would be the you. clock driver module in the boot. If it's set up for the DriveWire one, then it would be using the DriveWire one. The default is just to use the software clock, which is the 60 hertz interrupt, and you have to type in the time by hand. 
which yeah. is very very in, uh, inaccurate so <laughs> yeah i was and that's that's what mine is currently using i'll have to look at bills to see if i can integrate that into my future images and how he's doing it that's interesting um another thing about that image if i'm recalling it correctly is that it also has um hdb dos um coco rs dos partitions mm-hmm. so if you put there's a modified version of HDB DOS, which has the drivers for the Coco SDC. And if you put that into one of your SDC ROM banks, flash banks, mm-hmm. uh, you can run that, and it will behave just you know like as if you had like a Birkenberg hard drive, etc. And you'll be able to access the uh, dr- the virtual uh, Coco disks and partitions. That was that was the other thing about the HD. Is it HDD DOS or HDB DOS? B, B. Okay. B yeah. Yeah. HDB so, DOS. Do you actually need that in order to run DriveWire Four, or is that just when you use it for like extended BASIC? Uh, you can run SDC DOS and mount uh, DriveWire disks, um, but the thing is, if those DriveWire disks have multiple virtual disks inside them, SDC. Mm-hmm. SCC has some limited support for that. Does a I think it does a, a pound number comma and then another number after it. Um, so you can you can mount certain specific disks as you know drives one to zero to one to three, but you can't do the HDB DOS thing where you have two hundred fifty five virtual or two hundred fifty six virtual drives. To do that, you need that. Uh, other, now the thing about that other ROM, the HDB DOS ROM, is it it has the SDC drivers to do um, to mount, to uh, to see all of the virtual drives, but it doesn't have the SDC DOS commands to mount and unmount disks. So to do that, you have to go back to SDC DOS, or you have to go into OS Nine and use my SDC utility. Yeah, I, I saw that that utility, and I was like, hey, that was kind of cool. So um, hold on. I want everybody to hear that right now. Richard Lorbieski just said he found a cool OS9 utility. Did you hear that, Nick Marantis? <laughs> <laughs> He's lying. What's the, okay, today is September 23rd. It is 3.23 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And with the first documented uh, verbalization of a cool OS9 utility. <laughs> Actually, I think Nick's mentioned before that everybody uses OS9 and Nitrous 9 just for writing utilities. It's just the games that are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the utilitarian operating system. Um, and another cool another cool thing you can do is after you load the DriveWire mods um, is you can run XCOM 9 or some other terminal programs and access BBSs over the internet. That is cool. Right. Yeah, that, that was the other thing about the uh, Bitbanger port. Uh, what's the baud rate that it's going on? I mean, that, that, that I, is it is it using some kind of magic or, or disabling? 15 kilobits. Okay, so it's actually disabling. Yeah. It's just using the straight clock and kind of disabling the timing signal, no. I guess. Yep, it's the, it basically all interrupts are shut off during the time of the first packet write. Mm-hmm. And then it waits for a response from DriveWire, and then after it gets the response, then it deals with it and turns the interrupts back on and continues with the operating system. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's so a hard-coded, it... hard-coded, hyper-fast timing loop, and that's used in all three versions of the Coco. 
Because I was wondering, said, why didn't they just use the RS-232 pack instead? And Well, it's because the original RS-232 pack, because of certain handling issues with the 6551, after a certain baud rate, it will lose packets um, right. or bytes once in a while. And so really, if you was just cramming data at it as fast as it could take it, um, you'd be looking at what was it? Uh, 9,600 baud or something two. like that? Yeah, 19.2? Yeah, 19.2 yeah, was the fact. The, the short answer is it's slower. Right. Uh, you, can mm. actually, you can actually talk over the Bitbanger port in DriveWire faster than you could the, the highest baud rate on the RS-232 pack, which would be 19,200. Uh, on a Coco 3, uh, DriveWire actually runs at 115,200 baud. Right, yeah, because you could you could on the RS two thirty two you can actually uh, replace the crystal and double that to thirty eight four hundred, but still yeah, that's yeah. The same with our carrots. That's the only thing left there. Ah, the fucking there. Yeah, the best. That would still be several times slower than the right the uh, the one fifteen two hundred that the Coco three runs the drive wire at. So yeah, um, right. now it does severely curtail your multitasking because, as David mentioned, it shuts the fire cues to achieve that speed. I know there were some um, RS-232 packs by um, Rick Uland at Konek back in the 90s that actually had the 16550 chip, which is what the PCs use with the 16 byte FIFO, uh, you know, buffer. And right. those actually would run 115.2 on the Coco uh, without having to halt. It was actually it was almost like a mini disc controller so that your multitasking still ran smooth. But I don't think those are manufactured anymore, and I don't know if anybody ever wrote a drive wire driver for it. Right. Okay. Now I, I've been looking at other alternatives for the RS two thirty two. I was just uh, wondering about that um, deal. Per so yeah. Per personally, I would love to see something faster that you didn't have to shut off the IRQs for. Um, I know Jim. He was working on some project at the Coco Fest a couple years ago where he had a sixty five fifty one A based cartridge that. Um, he had it where it would go up to 230k BPS. Wow. Um, but I don't know if he's officially released it or what Jim was doing with that. But uh, yeah. uh, Jim just chimed in. He says, "Yep, I do." <laughs> yeah. The thing is, a lot of this stuff is not is not quite ready for for prime time. Yeah. You have to load special drivers to run it. And the fact of the matter is that DriveWire, because it packetizes the information. So it handles it in small chunks. The interrupts are only shut off for a relatively small period of time. So it, it really works. It, it works pretty well, actually. Yeah, it's almost like a mini no-hold disk controller because basically you get an IRQ and it says you've got 16 bytes ready, and mm -hmm. you just go read it in one shot. And then there's some other chips like 16, 650 and stuff that actually give you 32 byte FIFOs, etc., <clears throat> so that you could actually get it even faster yet. Well, I tell you what really impressed me with the speed was running DriveWire over like Wi Fi or Ethernet with the uh, Cocoa Pie, where everything is being done over, you know, over a, a local area network, because then that's the serial speed goes away. You know, so dr doing DriveWire over Ethernet is really impressive. And I don't know if there's a physical way. I know I know these adapter boards exist where you can get like the Bluetooth module that turns into a serial port. And if that could be implemented with DriveWire, you could get faster speeds on real hardware. But in an emulator, DriveWire is really fast. 
Well, then, uh, my other question is about the serial, then. If you have DriveWire's clock module, real-time clock module, does that interrupt it? How often does it do it? Does it just... Every... Once, once a minute. Okay. Yeah, because when you first... Because I've done this. Because once you start OS 9, it'll be... And you don't have a date set in the, the startup script. And if you just type uh, date, and I think it's, what is it, minus T to T, just yeah, see time. what the time is. It'll say zero zero colon zero zero colon zero zero. And it will take a minute before the uh, clock two module will grab the time and populate it in the, the main clock module. So it's, but yeah, it's once a minute, it grabs that time. So therefore, you know, that's what? Not that much, right? You know, so yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not constantly on. It's just. Uh, it just interrupts at once a minute, which is which is fine. Because uh, in the testing that I did on just the the stock clock module, uh, it, it lost about seven minutes every twelve hours. I mean, it was it was kind of it was really bad. So. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> it, it does lose a lot, especially if you're running a real floppy or if you're running an emulated floppy that actually does the whole halt NMI trick. Or if you're running DriveWire, for that matter, because, I mean, it halts the CPU dead. So, of course, you're not updating your clock anymore. Right. And uh, it, you're basically losing time every time you do a disk access. Whereas if you have a real hardware clock, like the old Burke and Burks and the Eliminator and some of the ones used, or if you're using the DriveWire, you know, updating the clock from the PC, you get that update once a minute to resync your clock back up. Right. So that would explain why, because I also mounted an image. Uh, I, was, I was booting off DriveWire uh, mounting it on my PC, and then I mounted a another disk in SDC, and I was trying to write them both at the same time. And I kept getting seek errors off the SDC card uh, drive one, so that would probably explain why, because the interrupt problem. That was well, running. well, once you're in OS nine, um, the disk image that you would have mounted in the SDC would be under what is it slash SDC one. So, S uh, but, SD, but, S S SD0 and SD1, yeah. Right. Okay, because I was using slash D1, and it was... It right, and that's only for the real floppy drive once you're in OS 9. Okay, and, so slash SD, but, okay. Right, but the, the thing is, though, is if you had the drive space 1, comma, pound 1, so where the drive 1 was mounted as the drive wire... That's right. not a physical drive emulation. Mm -hmm. So where the slash SD1 comes in is the, the emulated drive one that's on the Coco SDC. So basically, if you had a drive, um, a volume on drive wire mounted mm -hmm. as drive one, then that goes away once you boot into OS 9 because the SDC is now not even mapping that the yeah. way that you were thinking you would then be using slash x1 x0 actually well he said he had it in drive one so if he oh, had it in drive slot one, right. drive one then it would be slash x1 so right. well actually the, the way i did it was when i powered it up i would i would mount drive zero with the s you know as drive wire and then i would then do drive one comma and then i would actually mount that uh in my SDC image, uh, the disk image from the SDC card. Then I booted into DOS, uh, you know, using the DOS command, and it would boot up DriveWire that way. And then I did a slash D1. It actually showed up 
my SDC image just fine. But I kept getting seek errors after a while. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah, so you were using, so you were running the DriveWire kernel, which right. has the floppy, which has the floppy, the real floppy controller driver. But you're using the real floppy controller driver with the STC card in its floppy emu hardware floppy emulation mode. Right. Okay. So it thought OS nine thinks it's talking to a real floppy controller. Right. Okay. So it worked, but you're saying you got an occasional seek error, huh? Right. Yeah, yeah and I and I know why at that point. Because at that point Darren is emulating what a real max three and a half inch floppy drive can go to, and mm -hmm. that's eighty two tracks. So if your disk image goes beyond eighty two tracks, it will just spit errors at you because it's like I can't go past eighty two. We're having a hardware failure. Okay, yeah. got it. That so, be, yeah. so at that point, you would need um, a um, DriveWire boot image. If you're booting from DriveWire, you need the boot image to load the drivers for the SDC in hard drive mode, where you need the LL. What is it? LL Coco SDC. Uh, L. Uh, what is it? Uh, Super. Got something, or, or, and then SD zero and SD one, or okay. or you need to use a disk image that would be legal on a real floppy. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. so so a maximum of eighty two tracks, double sides, eighteen sectors per track, and that will work without. That should work without it. Yeah, and I understand what's going on now. So okay. yeah, yeah, because I also tried to mount your uh, uh, virtual hard drive as drive one, and that's also no, get, no, I got no. it, and it yeah, I can see yeah, why no, I did no. that. Yep. Yeah, I just it can't understand how to access uh, beyond track eighty. So yeah, that will work fine for discs that would be that you could actually write to uh, legally to a real floppy, mm -hmm. and it should work. Um, but for the hard drive mode, that actually kicks the SDC driver into a different mode, um, and you're not using the SDC driver when you're booting in DriveWire, it's actually running the standard floppy driver and it's running the, the SDC controller in hardware floppy emulation mode. And in that mode, it doesn't understand how to access beyond 80 tracks. Right, yep. That makes a lot of sense. You got that, Stevie? Yeah, and, and, and if, if <laughs> I really, um, this, is, this is riveting stuff here, but it's really reminded me of something. <laughs> and what I really need to do right now is we, we, we need to switch over for a minute because this whole discussion of um, OS 9 really <laughs> needs to have a, a commercial sponsor right now. So hold on just a second here. Good day, mates. <laughs> this is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation, Nitrous 9, is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use. I find OS9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual. And yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS 9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS 9 forever. Any resemblance to actual events to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. 
<laughs> there we have it. That that discussion just made me echo in my head the three words that should be synonymous with OS nine: ease of use. <laughs> I, I I I do agree. It should be it should be synonymous with OS nine. Ease. I mean, I agree with you. The 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 the, the design of the OS it has plug and play drivers. Um, it has a microkernel, real time OS. Um, it is designed for a core that could be very easy to use. Unfortunately, we've got a few serious problems that get in the way. One is the manual. The manuals that are available are primarily for the original Microware OS 9. There's nothing really been written for a manual for Nitrous 9, and there are some differences between the two. Um, the other thing that gets in the way of ease of use is building the boot sectors and boot tracks for OS 9 was designed by the original Microware OS 9 for use on floppy disks. And if you mm -hmm. use it to build a boot or a boot uh, configuration on floppy, it works pretty well. But when you, even with a Burke and Burke uh, hard drive controllers, which we had back in the day, anything other than a floppy disk trying to boot, there are serious issues with the, the utilities that come with OS 9 for building that boot. Um, hmm. So, you know, I, you know, I agree it should be very easy to use, but the fact of the matter, like things like OS 9 Gen don't work properly on, uh, on hard disks or virtual floppies, you know, and this creates issues. So, you know, we've got, fortunately, we've got uh, pre-built boot uh, disks out there that I've had to, you know, for instance, right. that disc, that disc that I, that this gentleman here is using, you know, in order for me to get that boot track to work, you know, I went in and, and generated the boot list with OS9 Gen, and then I had to go in and manually sector edit some of the, the sectors to get it to link properly on a hard disk image. Wow. Because, so, you know. Ease of use. It should be manual required. It should it should be easy to use. Yes, but, yes. You know, now I have been working on on OS nine Gen to try and get it to generate and write a bootable disk image. Well, properly. David David pointed out some stuff too that was addressed too, didn't you, David? That was uh, that Tormod had recently acknowledged. Is that the same stuff you did, David, or is that something else? No, that's what the tool shed stuff. Oh, okay, um, my bad. But. But the it's, OS9 it's, it's Gen utility by, to me. <laughs> right. the OS9 Gen utility itself is specifically designed um, to work on floppies, but it does work on twenty sector per track floppies too. All right, there you <laughs> which, go. Which, which mine, which mine probably after I get done modifying it for the SDC, uh, my version probably will not support twenty sector per track. Hmm. And as I, I mentioned, just don't, just don't submit that to the repo because that would be breaking it. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. But you know, it will support <laughs> SDC. You know, and my reason for that is, you know, there is not a lot of need for a twenty sector per track floppy in this day and age. So, you say know, it isn't and, so. <laughs> no, no, you just stomped I, on David's I, life's work, you know. <laughs> no, I I do understand. Um, but the SDC, when it's in SDC mode, is considered a hard disk. So that's one way to detect for certain specifications. But still, if you have a floppy, especially like the high density, 
Um, I know not very many ha have that, but I had bootable high-density floppies, which um, you wouldn't think would be possible, but it was. Um, actually, so. uh, actually, my modification may w still work with the 20 sector per track stuff mm. because I'm going to put in, it's going to be an option flag for doing, you know, the uh, if I can't detect it off of the device descriptor, which I might be able to, which is an interesting thought, but I've had some trouble trying to do that. Um, but for right now, I'm just adding an option switch that uh, lets you specify to lock it in, at, and I've got it hard-coded right now at sector 613. So well, let we'll me, see let, how that Let's get out. back to Richard's question now. Richard, were, were you given most of the answers that you needed on how to address some of these things? Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. now, now I'm going to have more questions next week, and so, we can probably talk yeah. like um, three or four more hours. I actually have and, a question for you, Richard, and that is what uh, what are you doing in OS nine? You have a project you're working on. Is this this curiosity type stuff, or uh, it's it's mainly curiosity, and and it's also that what I like to do with the cocoa is I will able to communicate with the outside world, you know, using my either my the the Linux system or you know just able to you know get get stuff from the outside world. Very cool. Yep. Very cool. I'm and, sorry, David. And OS, and OS 9 does that very well. Yes. Okay. David, were you ready to say something? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but, Richard, the other thing that uh, to make the, the boot file easier to edit, um, there's a set of tools that Curtis put me on tool, onto, blah, 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 tools to whatever it all runs together. Um, you can go to the Color Computer Archive. And you can download a, a package called Quick Tools. And in there is a tool that you can modify your OS9 boot and add extra modules into your OS9 boot or delete. And what you could do is then go into like your DriveWire boot um, and add in the extra modules for the SDC. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have the SD0 and SD1. Or if you was doing the SDC-based boot disk image, then you could add the drive wire modules to it that way. Yeah, so I'd rather do it that way. I'd rather have the SDC handling all the files because there's times what I'd like to do is just, when I save files, is I like to have it saved on the SDC and not the drive wire, you know. Yeah, if so, yeah, that would be extremely extremely doable you just right. need to add um you know um in the main chat here which i know no one sees the skype chat but um i gave a list of the modules that's gets added just for the hard or the the disk image part of drivewire and the clock module so those right. would be the things that would need to be added and the clock module that would need to be replaced okay cool yeah, if you if you want to boot primarily for for practical, the easiest thing for you to do if you want to run primarily with your primary disk being SDC is like I said, just boot it using that disk image I've already constructed, and then just type after you boot no, OS nine boots up, type load space drive wire underscore mods. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, the thing. Yeah. The thing about your your uh, your uh, di disk or virtual disk you gave me there's so many so much stuff on there that i'm like exploring it and my wife doesn't like that because i'm spending <laughs> you know, not going to bed and 
playing around with it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there. And there was some discussion earlier, actually, about uh, looking at OS9 source code and, and 6809 source code. And I've got mm. a lot of 6809 source code on there. Um, I've got there's a source code to my XCOM 9 terminal program is on there. Um, a bunch of other 6809 source code on there in the sources directory. Um, there's also a bunch of uh, a bunch of games, and yes, there Nick, there there are games for OS nine, and some of them are very fun to play, and they're not the type of games that you write that are heavy you know, arcade games, or not as many of them are. But you've mm -hmm. got Rogue. Um, there's a nice implementation of Rogue for for OS nine, um, and if you type make GW before you start it, you'll get the uh, the, the character-based graphics, which which comes out with a very nice display. Um, there's also micro micro mission is an OS nine game, microscopic mission, right? Based it, and that runs under OS nine. And uh, the uh, sub submarine uh, submarine simulator is uh, also a nice game. Yeah, sub battle simulator. Yes, that's cool. a very very fun game to play, and those all exist under OS nine. So, there yeah, I'd, you like have to, it. I'd, I'd like to see uh, Interbank Incident uh, finally get patched over to Nitrous 9 as well. Um, mm, that's but, probably in the works based on what Curtis and David have been working on. It's definitely something that we talked about recently that might happen. Um, let's I guess do it, this. Interbank Incident is one of those ones that uses that, uh, that IRQ that. Uh, Nitrous 9 doesn't support. I know Cave Walker also is supposed to run under under OS 9 level 2, which it does run under OS 9 level 2, but it doesn't run under Nitrous 9 level 2. Right. All right. Well, all right. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to come back. Um, but this has been probably the best 45 minutes of my life right now listening to all this good stuff here. So <laughs> I want to thank you all for that. <laughs> you, 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 you can't have it back. <laughs> I can't get it back <laughs> You, you and Nick, that was your, yeah. your best part ever. We'll be if back. If you want, Steve, we can go more. I know you can, which is why I'm taking a commercial break. Okay, so we'll be back in two and two. Hello, this is David Ladd, and you're watching Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. What's going on everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and when you are done with Coco Talk, why not head on over to my YouTube channel and get your share of gameplay goodness. There you will find everything from the old school to the next gen. There are video game reviews, interviews, how-tos, and replays of Coco Talk. So for all of your video game needs on YouTube, head on over to youtube.com slash OG Stevie Stroh for your share of gameplay goodness today. Radio Shack's store-wide manager's red tag sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. All 
All right, well, we're going to take a break for just a minute here by talking about OS9s and floppies and uh, drive wires and stuff like that. And it actually is interesting. And, and, and we, you know, that's one of the things I do want to talk about as well is the fact that I do have a new color computer channel. And I believe I mentioned that. I don't remember if I mentioned that. There's a lot of things I don't remember. Let me just show that real quick before I go to my, the reason why I pulled up my camera there for a second is because I was going to do a quick show and tell segment here. But before we do the show and tell, uh, I did put out a video um, explaining this, that my my original YouTube channel is going to be broken into three channels now, which really makes a lot of sense, and it's just the time and energy to do it. But the one that I'm really focusing on the most right now is the color computer, because of all the things I've done on YouTube, the Coco and the Coco community are really the ones that have paid back in spades as far as um, people... Uh, you know, just appreciating what I've done, right? So um, when you go to my youtube.com um, slash OG Stevie Stroh, which is my original channel, my channel has all kinds of stuff, right? So my channel has retro games, it has Coco stuff, it has Coco Talk, it has interviews, and it really has a lot. So on the homepage of my YouTube channel, now I have links to... to the I'm a Coconut channel. So my plan is, and as my time permits, and this has been one of our recurring themes today, is that the W word of work, right? And life gets in the way. But I'm going to be taking all of the Coco content from my original channel and moving it to the I'm a Coconut channel. So the I'm a Coconut channel is going to be nothing but color computer content. And the nice thing about that now is, is that I don't, I no longer have this mental um, shackle around my brain that says, well, I shouldn't do this on a gaming channel and I shouldn't do that on a gaming channel because it's not a gaming channel. It's a Coco channel. So will my color computer games be there? Yes. Will our interviews be there? Yes. Will Coco Talk be there? Yes. But we could have videos like on how to set up DriveWire. What is DriveWire? How do we plug in a cable for DriveWire? How do we implement DriveWire? How do we do DriveWire over physical cable versus over, you know, networking? And so we can get deeper in depth and have videos on these different topics. And it makes sense to put these types of videos on a color computer channel. So hey, so you uh, yes. can so you could so you can play your games on DriveWire. There you go, right? So so there is a channel, and you guys are watching it right now. If you're watching us live, you're watching me on that new channel so make sure you subscribe to that channel and I also on my channel I have a lot of retro games so I have things like arcade games and console games and I you know I have I have games from the NES and the uh, you know the Atari 8-bit and all kinds of stuff and so my original channel is going to end up being nothing but retro games from the 70s 80s and 90s and it's going to be everything except color computer games so I, the original gamer stevie stro channel is going to be nothing but retro games all color computer content will be on the coconut channel and then any newer games will be going on another channel i have that's going to be basically like 21st century games like things that came out after the year 2000 so i think this makes a lot of sense for me to not try to have a complete uh, hodgepodge of content on one channel. I think that that's probably in some in some respects hurting my channel because there's different people that come for different reasons and you can't please everybody. So now I have three different shades of content and hopefully my subscribers will be focused on the channel that best suits what they like. If you like nothing but so, retro, subscribe to that. If you like Coco, subscribe to that. You know what I mean? So, so where does Popstar Pilot go? Because it's a 2000s game plus it's a Coco game. 
Yeah, that is a great question. And so it will definitely have to go on the Coco channel, but whatever, we'll figure that out. We'll have to talk about that offline. So let's do a quick show and tell. Um, there was a discussion, and I post some of this on Facebook, but we talked about this on the show. Ron Delvaux posted this. There was a question. Was there a version of the Extended Color Basic Manual that only had 13 chapters? And this is it. I mentioned that I had purchased it on eBay. Matter of fact, last weekend, it was sitting on my counter, still in the bag. I didn't know it was here. I could have showed this off last week. But this is the 13-chapter version of the book compared to the 24-chapter version of the book. And it is, you know, roughly half the thickness. And so I guess what had happened was when the color computer was first released, uh, you know, ironically, they just had not finished making the book. So they ended up releasing basically an alpha version of the manual. And if you look at the table of contents here, you can see here that the table of contents ends on chapter 13 on page basically 124. And everything that's in this book now is really section one of the final manual that has four sections and considerably much more pages than the 100 and some odd pages of these 13 chapters. So this is somewhat of an oddity, and it just so happens I was able to get one off of eBay because the, the, the topic came up on Facebook was, does anybody know about this? Does anybody remember this? I saw a book posted. I messaged the guy. I go, hey, do me a favor. Tell me how many chapters are in there. And he told me, and I was like, oh, cool. So I went ahead and I bought it. Now, this also came with a book that I've never seen before, but this book is called TRS-80 Color Basic. And this is a very cool game. This is a very cool book too. It does get into color computer graphics and it covers both, you know, color basic and extended color basic. So this came with it. But I think the takeaway from this, number one, does anybody know the name Bob Albrecht? Does that name ring a bell? Did, did he make he, other He occasionally wrote stuff for Rainbow if I remember too. Okay. So this was just a kind of a bonus book because I really bought the book mostly to get um, you know to get the 13 chapter thing but somewhere in here and I can't find it now but he mentions here's some other books you should read and he mentions the uh, you know the getting started with color basic and the moving ahead with extended color basic but what he mentions in there is the artist who drew the cartoons and that's been a question right who drew those co those coco cartoons right and it turns out it was a female name so I'm gonna see if I can find it real quick, I don't remember if it was in the foreword. It's not. It's not in the beginning of the book. But no, he gets into a lot of stuff in here. But somewhere, maybe in the back, in a, um, in a an appendix or a glossary or something. I'm gonna see if I can find it real quick because I now what I want to do is I want to try to find that person on the internet. I would love to be able to. There's a section on how to use the tape recorder. There's a page on all of the ASCII codes and joystick reference manuals. So of course, here we go. Here we go. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Is it on the last page? Look here first. Getting Started with Color Basic by Donna Greaves Smith. Designed and illustrated by Linda Yakel. Y-A-K-E-L. That's on page 375. A Beginner's Guide to the Color Computer. And it says, Going Ahead with Extended Color Basic by Jonathan Erickson. Designed and illustrated by Linda Yakel. Y-A-K-E-L. So we possibly now know who the artist is who drew this color computer. Right, and this is an iconic, iconic image of our '80s memory of dealing with the Coco. Is that kind of Coco cartoon character? So is Donna Yakel. 
Uh, I'm going to try to find that person on the internet and on social media, and I think that would make for a really good interview if we could speak to the person who drew and illustrated the Coco. You know what I mean? And, and you have the names of the people that wrote the two manuals, too? Yes, apparently so, yes. That would be interesting to interview, too, because to be honest, out of all the 8-bit machines that I remember going through manuals, the Apple II, the Atari, etc., the Coco ones were by far the easiest to learn from. Like, they yes. were the most well-written by a long shot. I, and, and I'm living proof of that because I was able to learn by, based on those books, and I'm a dumber than a box of rocks. So, yeah. Now, uh, mail call. Our friend, uh, Tony Jimenez, who's been doing all the cool videos for us, right? Well, he's been posting something on Facebook about how he's been struggling to 3D print a Coco SDC case. And I think his, his, his case woes are done. Well, he sent me one. And this is it here. This is the, look at the, you see the Tandy engraving? And so it's got these ventilation slots across the side here at an angle. It says Tandy on here. This is the opening for the dip switches. And my favorite part on the side here is this little button right here where you can push in the button to switch floppies instead of having to stick like a pencil point in there and stuff. So this is a really cool case. No, you know, no disrespect to John Strong's design of the cases, but I liked this when I saw it. I think it looks really cool. And he sent me one, and it came in just the other day. So I literally just unbox that for you guys right now and i will get my primary coco sdc set up and um and one of the things i mentioned to simon which i haven't had a chance to actually ship out yet is that because i've actually now got three coco sdcs i i don't need them all i'm going to send one over to simon for him to develop on and he was happy to hear that i just got to get that going you know life happens life gets in the way sometimes so there is my um that's my little show and tell section there, which I just thought was kind of cool. So, yeah, so we have some, to me, this is new information on who were the authors of these books and who was the illustrator of our books. And I do now want to set out trying to contact and reach those people if they're still around and um, and then maybe get an interview, uh, hopefully a video interview, if not at least an email or audio interview or something like that. That would be kind of cool. That would. I'd really like to figure out, like, who kind of spearheaded the way the manual was written, et cetera, because like I said, it was by far the best of the 8-bits. Indeed. Indeed. All right, so Ron Delvaux is not here with us today because he's traveling abroad. He is on vacation with his family, um, but he, he, we still are going to have a Ron's Garage section here in his absence. We won't have Ron in person, but I'm going to show you some stuff he's been posting to Facebook. So maybe one quick commercial break, and then we'll do the Ron's Garage uh, proper intro because this is a professional show. And then we'll show off some stuff on Facebook. So we'll be right back, folks. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer Stevie Strope. Alright everybody, it is time for Ron's Garage with a peek into the past featuring the vintage computer collection of Ron Delvaux. 
Now, Ron is not with us today, so in Ron's behalf, we will use the internet. So, take it away, internet. All right, so we're back. We are back. Well, welcome back. And let's take a look at what's going on here on the internets. And so, uh, this was kind of a cool thing that he posted. I haven't got to Ron's page yet. But, um, so these are some signs. Ron, by trade, is uh, kind of a graphics artist and designer and sign maker and things like that. So he's been showing us a lot of cool things he's made in the past. And this is, um, you know, what we called at one point in time something like desktop publishing and, you know, using the computer to do things. And what I find to be both uh, ironic about this is he has computer-generated uh, literature basically saying, I don't use computers to do my work. So. <laughs> but the graphics that he makes for these things are really cool. He is a very talented artist, you know. And so the fact that back in the 80s he was doing these kind of computer-generated little uh, flyers and things now, I mean, everything now is computer-generated if you think about it, but it was kind of a cool thing at one point in time. So on Ron's garage, uh, you know, Ron puts a post here saying, traveling so it's emulator time right so he's bringing his coco emulator with him looks like he's running vcc right there um and again we always see some really cool pictures of of ron's collection so ron's garage kind of started here on the show and then he started a facebook uh, group for it where he's posting his pictures he's got an amazing collection so here he's showing off some of his mc10 and a, and a demo cassette tape that he found with some stuff on here here's a badge he posted that he had done for the 17th annual last uh, chicago coco fest i mean these designs are really cool and you know these designs are now making here's john linville showing that he had one of the buttons printed from that so this was ron's design here that was used back then for the um 23rd so it looks like <laughs> you know that design was used more than once right ron's garage um here's a little clip where he's showing it off from coco talk here he talked about this last week where he's got some of these tandy monitors still in the box right so high high resolution color monitor cm11 i think that one was for the tandy 1000 yeah. uh, here's a cm8 for our beloved coco 3 still in the box you know what i mean I mean, this guy's got stuff. He's got stuff that's just, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the turn of the screw, right? I think he talked about this last week. He showed this off last week, right? So um, Ron's Garage is a really great source of looking at, and these are all, this is his personal collection. This is stuff he had and he still has. And so you're going to see it each week here on Coco Talk, but you can also get to it on Ron's Garage Facebook group. And there's a link to that on the I'm a Coconut page, right? So um, if you're not aware of the dedicated color computer website, I'mACoconut.com, here it is. And I've updated this page now. It's a little bit cleaner. It's got a little bit more stuff on here. But one of the things you go here, if you click to Communities, you'll see a link to um, things like Tandy Assembly and Coco Fest and different Facebook groups and Yahoo groups. And then down here towards the bottom, I've got a link to Ron's Garage and Ron's OS9 Facebook group. So if you need to know where to go to get to things for the color computer community, your one-stop shop is imacoconut.com. And most of the time, we just have a little list like this. So if the page is short, it'll just be a little list of links you can click on. One of the things I just did, to, because this page was getting kind of long here, was the blogs and projects. This is getting kind of long now. We've got 30 entries right now under blogs and, and projects, and this isn't all of them. So what I did here is I turned this into a um, table. 
And so this table, you could sort on the type of, of site. Is this a development site? Is it a blog? Is it hardware? Um, we got one for Fusix of operating systems. I think that was a question that, that, um, that Karen had asked earlier, saying, how does um, Flex run off of the Coco SDC? Does anybody remember that question? Does anybody know the answer to that? Does Flex run on the Coco SDC? I don't see why it wouldn't, though I haven't personally tried it. It okay. was just a floppy-based operating system, so it, it it should run as as far as a floppy is concerned because the SDC pretty much emulates the original floppy controller. So you put a disk image in there, it should look at it and say, well, as far as I can tell, I've got a floppy. There you go. And and real quick, let's see what the most most listened to episodes are right now. Our number one downloaded episode of Coco Talk right now is episode 22 with Nick Marentis's Pac-Man discussion of his update of Pac-Man 1.1. Uh, episode 21 is the second most listened to. Is Floppy Talk on the list? Floppy Talk is on the list, about halfway up there on the chart. So Floppy Talk is a popular episode. Getting some Nitrous 9 is on the list of the top 10 most listened to podcasts. So very cool. So yeah, Ron's Garage is a Facebook page. You can get to it from amacoconut.com. And even though Ron is not here, um, I thought we should still have his segment and just mention that and point you there. One more thing that I'll show off that he's been um, tagging me on or posting for me on my Facebook page is that he went to this um, thing in Chicago, which is the uh, arcade museum type thing. So he posted some pictures of that for me on my Facebook page. And for me right now, this is me dying and going to heaven. If heaven exists, I want it to look like this. I want there to be arcade machines and color computers and hot chicks. That's all I need. Cold beer and some spicy buffalo wings. And I'm a happy guy, right? So um, this is a place in Chicago. Is this near Cocoa Fest too? The, this uh, arcade place in, in this is in Chicago where, where Ron is right now. Do you guys know? I don't know off the top of my head. I have heard of it before, but I've actually I haven't been to it. Okay. So this is an arcade, and for boys and girls, for those of you who were not around in the 80s, this is where we went to play our games. We didn't sit down on our couch and grab our wireless controller and put on our headsets and talk to our buddies online. We actually had to get up and have quarters and stuff and go play games like pinball and Pac-Man and stuff like that. This is just really, look at this Defender. Speaking of a 6809 base game right now, right? There's Williams Defender right there on the screen. This, for me, this is Nirvana. Here's Donkey Kong. Um, these are just these are national treasures as far as I'm concerned. The original arcade games. Look at this. You can see all the scan lines and the CRTs, all the RGB stuff. It looks really good. Um, and there's people there, right? Human beings. <laughs> what are those, right? Um, this is a, a head a headboard uh, for a pinball machine, and this one's got a Pabst Blue Ribbon Can Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a Mopar graphic on here, is what Ron's saying. So you know what I mean? It's just like can you imagine there were times when when beer sponsored pinball <laughs> machines. That's that's pretty cool. Star Wars. Look at this pinball machines. Um, Really neat. So here's the Star Wars pinball machine itself. So cool, cool stuff. So even though Ron is not here with us in person today, he's still here with us in spirit, and he is uh, still being mentioned here on Coco Talk. And the three words that everybody should remember, especially when you're thinking of OS 9, are ease of use. So I've had those up here on the screen just to remind you all, OS 9 equals Ease of use, right? You'll have to add no manual required. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and, and continue to fix that. So <laughs> it, it does need work. 
Um, yeah. Since since Ron is not here, um, I was wondering if maybe we could talk about my garage. I uh, would love to. So I recently dug something out of my garage, which uh, I may be uh, trading off to another uh, collector. But somebody was asking if they uh, if anybody had an X pad. Do any of you know what an X pad is? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I have one. tablet. Yeah. So uh, so I actually you know this one. Ding! Hey, I've got. I remember seeing one of those. So I went out to my garage and pulled down the ladder to my attic and crawled up into my attic and crawled over various other things which I won't describe on this show. And <laughs> and dug the. Were they ex- breathing? <laughs> Fortunately, no. <laughs> but uh, dug the X pad out of the uh, milk crate it was sitting in, um, and brought it down and cleaned it off. And plugged it into my color computer one, and much to my amazement, when I got some software loaded in off of cassette, because all my multi packs have been upgraded to work with a Coco three, and the X pad actually does not work with a Coco three upgraded multi pack because mm. the address range it uses. So I loaded some software in off of cassette, and much to my amazement, this X pad, which has been sitting in my attic for I don't know exactly how long, right. uh, still worked. Still worked. And so I was able to uh, run an extended basic program that read the XPad and, uh, you know, draw some stuff on the screen in uh, P Mode 4 graphics. And it was interesting. Yeah, uh, that was a neat uh, thing. Let me see if I can grab mine real quick. And I'll, because I got one on eBay in the box, and I think I got it for about $25, which is actually a pretty good price. But it's got the box. Wow. It's in the actual original cart, uh, you know, carton, my, and it's got the manuals and everything else. So it was a steal of a find. Mine was in a box, too. It was in a milk carton. Ah, yes, yes. So hold on. You guys talk amongst yourselves. And I seem to remember in Canada mine. when they first went on sale, they were $499. Bucks. Yeah, there's one I saw on eBay right now. Somebody's trying to sell as a buy it now for like $225. I don't know if it'll sell or not. Yeah, I just I just pulled mine up off the shelf, and I'll zoom in here real quick to make it big screen. But yeah, so this is the X-Pad, and it is a, a high-resolution digitizing tablet. It plugged into the cartridge slot, and you used an actual kind of like ballpoint pen to draw on, but I guess it was maybe a resistive... Uh, resistive surface where it felt the pressure. I don't know if did it, I don't know if it read it from the pen or if it read it from the tablet itself. Do you know? I can. What? Yes, I do actually. Um, what it, it's not a resistive surface. What it is is it, it has a uh, X and Y wire grid underneath the surface, mm. and the pen the pen has a magnetic pickup, and it actually senses that wire grid, and you can actually wave the pen above the surface without touching it. Mm-hmm. And it will and it will sense the movement of the pen okay. above the surface. Okay, so it does have some type of tracking to know where you are positionally on the pad, and it was a much higher resolution. I believe it was like a two fifty six by two fifty six resolution of that tablet. It matched the high res screens perfectly. Yeah. Yes. Um, it came with. I don't remember if it. Came yeah, and with I remember the, the built in software would detect if you actually were pressing on the tablet itself. It would draw. And if you lifted it within a half an inch to an inch above, it would just show the pixel dot of where your positioning mm, was. Okay. I, I, I beg to differ. There is no built-in software. 
Okay, the, but there, uh, maybe there was code that you could type in to make a demo program. Yeah, there was code in the manual, wasn't there? Yeah. Yes, there is. That's there that, yeah, that's what I kind of meant. Okay, so yeah, okay. I remember doing the original program and and seeing, okay, yeah, there's a lot of things here that I want to do myself. So I had actually written my own graphics program using the XPad where you could do circles and paint circles and do all kinds of stuff. I had little sidebar menus that would come and go and stuff. I had actually done a pretty elaborate um, drawing program with that, which of course none of my original software exists anymore uh, in the great uh, floppy loss of 1990. Um, but yeah, I remember writing a really cool program for that because it did, I'm assuming there's a ROM in there that adds extensions to the basic language now where nope. you can communicate nope. with the device or read from the device. No, 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 no. Actually, the way you communicate with that device is you just do a peek Okay. Three memory locations. Okay. And one memory location. One memory location gives the X coordinate. One memory location gives the Y coordinate. And one one memory location gives the state of the pen, whether it's depressed and, and whether it's depressed on a, a portion of the pad that's in the main section of the pad or the border. Or if you press the pen point somewhere off of the pad, there's like several different status uh, numbers that it gives for the, the third memory location. So you have X, Y, and pen status. Okay. And you just do uh, variable equals peak you know, memory location, and, th and that's it. And that's how it, it interfaces to basic. Okay, and, and maybe, maybe I don't have the manual, okay? But I have the pad. Now, that's interesting because that was a long time ago when I did it. I don't remember how I did it. Um, but yeah, in the manual, which I, I don't have the, there, there's the, the overlay that they sent mm -hmm. you with the thing, yes. But yeah, the thing, all the, man, all the software was in uh, listings in the manual. It was written okay. in Extended Basic, and you just read the data from the, uh, yours, is, uh, yours actually has all three colored dots on the top there, where it has the three, three Radio Shack dots okay. under TR-80. Okay. Yeah, well, a couple of my dots are a little bit faded out from uh, ah. <laughs> from A, <laughs> but my pad still works and actually looks halfway decent. But yeah, yeah there's yeah, it's, the, the it's only an actual kind of like ballpoint pen where you if you put down paper on your pad, you could literally draw yeah, you, on the paper. You, you, people use that to trace out drawings that they'd previously drawn and then draw it on yeah. to digitize on the screen. Yep, um, but the biggest the big bane of that particular device was the fact that no software was really other than what was printed in that manual yeah there was, there was really some third-party stuff i remember rainbow used to sell it um it, was it graphicom or something that had support for it i can't remember which one it was now there's very very little i know that yeah there was one or two commercial programs because i remember a friend of ours bill would remember him daryl hildebrand in Saskatoon had one and we actually had one commercial package that used it and i wish i could remember which one it was graphicom one or two or something mm. or some graphic yeah, i think it was graphicom <laughs> I mean, honestly, this thing is screaming for a patch for double back, you know, <laughs> to be able to use a real pen to trace around double back would be awesome on that. Um, Grand Coco Lee, Max, it's, yeah. screaming for, it's screaming for a patch for Coco Max 3, too. That would be nice. Yeah. Or, or just Coco Max. A Coco Max patch for the uh, for that device would be, would be nice, but unfortunately, none of that really exists. Hmm. Yeah. So. Now, since we, Ron isn't here too, I I dragged out a piece of software if you guys want to check it out for, you know, back in the day too. So sure, sure, sure. While you're doing that, Grant Leedy mentioned the name of that arcade is called the Galloping Galloping Ghosts Arcade. It's the website he put in the chat is gallopingghostsarcade.com. He says it's about 18 miles from Coco Fest, which is about a half hour drive. 
It's open till 2 a.m. Might be a good place for a Friday or Sunday night uh, Cocoa Fest after party. So good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Okay, so the one I was going to show off, and I just put links in both the YouTube chat and the uh, the Skype chat there just to show a page that has some screenshots of it, so I won't have to bring all that stuff up for you. But it's uh, basically the best uh, Ultima-style game that the Cocoa 3 ever had called The Seventh Link, and it was by a Canadian company called Oblique Triad, which was made up of three guys that uh, Bill and I got to know fairly well for a while. So they shipped it off in one of these little envelopes here. Okay. And you can see they were located in Ottawa, Ontario. And it was kind of reminding me a little bit of, of what... Uh, what what is being done with the manual for um, Mr. Moore's there? Um, Bruce Moore. Yeah. yeah, he was kind of doing the. I mean, this was a bit more primitive because it was black and white. He had his Xerox stuff, but you know, he did you know some of his own homemade little you know drawn graphics for the manual, mm. and it's okay. You know, multi pages long of, of of descriptions of how to play the game, and has little like uh, special cards. Like it looks very. Card. It looks very much like Ultima from the screenshots there on the web page. Oh, it is. It's very good. Actually went beyond Ultima at the time a little bit, but he also he went a little bit of an extra mile here when he was selling it because he added some other little things that he really didn't need to have to do. Um, and if anybody's played uh, Dicom Products Gates of Delirium, some of it he did too, but he went you know, even beyond that. And the stuff was described in the manual, so I mean you're basically traveling between different planets and stuff too. So he has like uh, you know maps of each of the individual planets here. They're on double sided cards. Oh wow. That's neat. It included in there as well. And then there's this message that is supposed to help it explain the game, and apparently it got uh, destroyed in a fire, something a part of it. So we actually did printing out, and he actually burned the bottom of it here. I don't know if you can see oh, that. Oh, wow. Video. Hold, it up a little, actually, hold it up a little bit higher, because the Skype icons are in front of it. Okay, yeah. Okay. But he actually literally burned it to, to match that, his little storyline going there. Oh, wow. That is see the cool. brown, brown, browning of it. And then one of the other things is you're supposed to have this superconductivity wire you have to find to get these portals and stuff to work. And he actually included a little bit of gold string here. That that's part of the superconducting wire. Oh wow! So there's like so he, physical props that come with the game. Yeah, it's 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 quite a quite an interesting game. And the game's huge. I've never actually finished it yet. But uh, if you want to bring up the website that I put up, you can see some of the screenshots, and I can give you a little bit of details of the game while you're showing that. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me switch over to that right now. Okay. So um, here we are at the top of the page here. So this is the seventh link, Radio Shack Color Computer 3. Um, here's the title screen. Yeah, and he had some digitized sound going in the background there. And uh, Bleak tried the company also sold an 8-bit hardware digitizer, sound digitizer, and they actually did the opening credit music as a digitization sample. Wow. And, and then, then if you go through the rest of the screenshots there, I mean, basically that's an Ultima-style game. It's similar to Gates of Delirium. It was in the Cocoa 1 and 2, except it uses sure. the full 16 color. Okay. Uh, Where was, and was it released? Uh, originally, 1990, did some patched updated graphics in 1993. Wow. So, you know, Cocoa 3-wise, it was, I think, the third year of the Cocoa 3. But it takes two full discs. One of those is 40-track. Uh, mm. Huge maps going across. You can save the game in progress and stuff. It's got line of sight, you know, darkness you can't see past. One thing he did uniquely that Gates to Learn did not do in the original first two or three Ultimas didn't do is that if you were in the dungeons, it actually did, it used an engine similar to Sockmaster's Gloom or Nick's uh, Gatecrasher because it actually did real 3D. It didn't just do the wireframe. Oh, wow. Like if you saw a fountain and you went moving around the fountain, you'd actually be able to see the background move behind it type thing. So it was actually doing 3D ray projection type stuff. 
So very involved game, huge. Like I said, I've never actually won it. I have actually gotten in the dungeons. Unfortunately, I think this particular person here was playing it. I don't think he got into one of the dungeons by the time he finished his little playthrough. So okay. you don't see any pictures of the 3D effect he's got going there. But uh, if you're into those types of games, the role-playing games, yeah. this is probably the best one on the Coco 3 or on the Coco period. And then there's some other good ones like Paladin's Legacy, Gates of Delirium, Talon Guard, and a few others that were pretty good in the Coco 1 and 2. But the ultimate one for the Coco series would be this one. Okay, very cool. It's something that you got me intrigued in wanting to not only play it, but maybe we can do a little video on this at some point in time. This would be a good thing to show off on the new Coco YouTube channel. Um, speaking of that what channel, is it? too, I feel, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Barry, but yeah, I also plan on doing Dragon games there and stuff, too. And so doing stuff for the Dragon and the MC10. So it won't be just Coco, but Coco related. Sorry, Barry, go ahead. I was just going to ask what the current copyright status is on this game. Is it being sold? Is it, you know. It's not being sold. Uh, one of the original offer, authors, uh, was it Dave or the other guy? Might have been Jeff. Uh, he actually had had his own web page up. He works at Microsoft now. Um, he had his own web page up, and he publicly released it. He said, you guys can all copy it and do whatever you want to do with it. Um, and then his page, I think, disappeared because Microsoft didn't want him throwing off third-party stuff. And that was stuff that he sold under his own company earlier. But if it, yeah, so but if he's made that announcement, then he did make the announcement. And if you go into the uh, Internet Archive Wayback Machine, you can see the original announcements to, to prove that it that is what had in fact happened. But yes, it is legally able to be downloaded. Okay. I don't know if it's on the archive yet. It was copy protected, so I can't remember if that got fixed up or not. But I, I, I actually that, have it on my SDC, Curtis, and it still oh, is, is copy. It still is copy protected in that state, uh, but the SDC does run it. Okay, cool. Good to know. I haven't actually tried it yet, so you you actually do have to mount it, uh, uh, the actual SDF images, but it does work. I still play it. Cool. Maybe we can finally win the damn thing. <laughs> it should. It should. Uh, SDC should run with the proper images set up. SDC should run pretty much any. Uh, any copy protected disc if we can get an image on it onto the SDF or SDC format. Yeah, well, it sounds like from what Bill said, the SDF format. I did have it under DMK at one time or other. I remember when I borrowed uh, the Cat Weasel board from uh, Tim Linder, I had made a backup copy of it, as well as some other stuff that it uh, is actually on archives and stuff now, too. So, But yeah, no, it's legally released. Feel free to use it. Uh, the graphics were very improved over the first version one, the 1989 original, like those screenshots you were showing before. The mountains and stuff used to be very plain. Okay. There's no real, you know, texture to them. It was just very simple, you know, blocky graphics, but they vastly improved them in the new version. Very nice. Very nice. Now, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. That's cool. Um, so I just want to give you guys a head up. So we, we've been, we're going on two and a half hours right now, and my biological stomach is starting to tell me that I'm getting hungry. So what I want to do is I'm going to take a commercial break. We're going to go over the Tandy Assembly website and um, see what's new there or just review what's already there. And then just think about anything else you want to talk about as we wrap up today's show and then just come up with some ideas of what we can talk about for next week's show. So real quick, commercial time, and we'll be right back, boys and girls. I'm Bill. And Neil Blanchard. We are the Coco Crew. I hope you're enjoying watching Stevie Strobe play video games, especially the Coco games. And when you're done with that, check out our podcast at CocoCrew.org. At home. At the beach. In your car. At the shop. At the office. Anywhere you enjoy fine audio programming. 
It's North America's premier source for color computer news. The Coco Crew Podcast. This is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. And we are the Coco Crew. I hope it's going to be a great show. Join John and Neil each month as they bring the latest news about the color computer, Dragon, MC10, and others. It's the Coco Crew Podcast. Visit www.cococrew.org and listen today. Hey everybody, this is Bill Noble, co-author of Nitrous 9. You are listening to Coco Talk Live, the leading live Coco Talk show. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, Coco Talk. Coco Talk is the nation's leading live talk show about the Tandy color computer, airing live each week on YouTube, with video and audio replays available. Join Coco Talk to discuss community projects, hardware and software, interviews, reviews, demos, and tutorials. For more details about Coco Talk, visit cocotalk.live. Thank you to Coco Talk for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. You've been hearing all the buzz about Tandy Assembly. All Radio Shack and Tandy computer models under one roof. It's happening October 7th and 8th in Chillicothe, Ohio. Don't miss our guest speakers, including Don French of TRS-80 fame, game designer Lance Nicholas, and Scott Adams of Adventure International. Make your reservations today. Call 800-542-7919 and ask for the special room rate for Tandy Assembly. But hurry, the rates are only good through September 5th. Tandy Assembly. Some assembly is required. Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, one of the organizers of Tandy Assembly. We look forward to seeing everyone in Chillicothe, Ohio. I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about one of the great events at Tandy Assembly. That's the No Minimum Bid Auction. First, all of the auction items are donated. All proceeds from the auction will go toward the cost of the event. The auction is a great opportunity to get some big bargains on unusual vintage computer items. It's also a great deal of fun to see people, sometimes best friends, trying to outbid each other. We certainly hope you'll join in the fun at Tandy Assembly. As I said before, all of the auction items are donated. If you have any items or duplicates in your collection that you are willing to donate to the auction, we would certainly appreciate your donations. Just bring them to Tandy Assembly or contact us through our webpage, www.tandyassembly.com. Thanks, and we look forward to a great time with everyone at Tandy Assembly. And what a perfect segue to our Tandy Assembly segment. We've just been joined, too, by Jim Brain. How are you, Jim Brain of Retro Innovations? Thanks for joining us. No problem. And we are, we're coming to the end of Coco Talk for today, but we, we would be remiss if we weren't talking about Tandy Assembly. So Coco Talk started 
as a way for us to talk about being excited about going to Coco Fest. And, and now we have two things a year to be excited. Well, actually three things. We have David Ladd, which is a year-round excitement. Um, and then we have Coco Fest. And now we have Tandy Assembly. So there's three things to be excited. And, and OS9, ease of use as well. So plenty of things to be excited about. Working, yes, working on that. <laughs> so Tandy Assembly is our next big, big event. And so the website is tandyassembly.com. And this is a vintage computing festival dedicated to Radio Shack brand of computers. And so it's a Coco Fest Plus, right? So here's the website. The speaker lineup, I'm sure, is probably solidified at this point in time. It has not changed at this point. So our keynote speakers are Scott Adams of Adventure International, Don French with the TRS-80 story, Lance Michaelis, uh, and Rick Adams, our very own Coco Talk and Coco Living Legend. Rick Adams will be there. And then we have some other speakers as well, including John Linville, Peter Satinsky, myself, Brendan Donahue, Randy Kindig, and Arno and Sasha. And there's going to be a lot of cool things that are going to be talking about in this two-day event. So make sure you check out all of those. Our exhibitors uh, are, are plentiful. And so once again, I believe these were added in the order in which people signed up to be an exhibitor. So uh, I am going to have a table there. So will Myro. It has caught on. Richard Lorbieski will be there. Peter and Alex Satinsky. Mark Marlette of Cloud9 will be there. Peter Bartlett, who um, John Strong was talking about earlier. So we'll see what Peter Bartlett's latest um, upgrade is for the Coco, the, the VGA cartridge adapter. That's kind of cool. Randy Kindig showing portable computers. Jim Brain, who just joined us of Retro Innovations, will be there showing Tandy Computer and General System products. Ian Maverick, all the way down from Australia, is going to be coming, showing off. Ian Maverick's like the Australian version of Ed Snyder. Brendan Donahue with his Coco VGA project. Alan Hightower, John Linville, Evan Wright, Scott Adams, Mike Brandt, Rick Adams, Brett Gordon, George Phillips, and Ficecap Paul Fiscarelli are all going to be there uh, in the exhibitor area. And it looks like the um, the show lineup is about the same right now. So we have our opening of Don French as our kickoff keynote talking about the true story of the making of the TRS-80. Later on, Rick Adams will be talking about resurrecting bond threat. Uh, Brendan Donahue will talk about how he had to hack Extended Color Basic to support 64 columns. Lance Michaelis will have a presentation from bank robbers to Facebook. Arno and Sasha will talk about an Android-based Android emulator in a retro app store for the TRS-80. Then you're going to hear me talk about my little journey of YouTubing and podcasting and things like that. Um, uh, where there's the auction that we heard about in our little commercial, the no minimum bid auction, which has been a huge fun thing to do at Coco Fest. I'm glad to see that that is carried over to Tandy Assembly. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a deal and a steal on something. Um, Coco Talk, a version of Coco Talk will be live Saturday evening where it's going to be kind of like a podcasting roundtable. So the, the Coco Talk people who are happen to be there will be there. And so will folks from the TRS-80 Trash Talk podcast, Floppy Days podcast, and the Coco Crew podcast, and hopefully a live audience as well. And we're just going to talk about, uh, I'm going to call this one Tandy Talk, right? So we're going to talk about everything that's been going on at Tandy Assembly. The Jeopardy um, thing that happened at Coco Fest was a lot of fun. So the Tandy Quiz Show. Um, is going to be happening at 9 p.m. social time. The one thing is hugely missing here is there is no music jam. So Curtis is not able to make it. Brian Schubing, the music man, is not going to be able to make it. So it's going to be lacking music, and we'll have to deal with that, I suppose. And Sunday we have Scott Adams with his presentation, Randy Kindig with 
portable computers through the years. John Linville looks like he's closing out the show with keeping the cocoa in the game. So um, I have uh, two questions I'd like to ask. Okay. Um, now I forgot what they were. <laughs> <laughs> this getting old sucks. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess one thing is uh, I'd like to find out secretly are Scott Adams and Rick Adams related? <laughs> well, Rick's they're both brilliant game authors so I'm, I'm thinking there's something genetic going on there. Right. Rick, so, can you answer that question? I don't know. Maybe Rick has been replaced with a stunt double right now. I'm not sure about that. So hopefully Rick will... Hello. Hey, there he is. Yes, we can hear you. <laughs> okay. Um... The question was garbled, so could you give it again? I, I was wondering, are you and Scott Adams in any way related, sharing the same oh. surname? <laughs> Both of you no, are related we are not. around the same time. I'm wondering if there's something genetic going on there. No, no, no. Uh, I am not related to Scott Adams. I am also not related to uh, the Rick Adams, who used to be the CEO of UUNet. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Adamses that I get mixed up with. And, 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 nope, nope, no connection. The guy who did Dilbert, his name is Scott Adams, Scott too, right? Well, yeah, but not, the, not the same Scott Adams. Yeah. Also, no relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and no relation to the Adams family. <laughs> that's, that's correct. Although, um, uh, my, uh, the college group that I was going to announced my uh, engagement to my wife by you know, getting, saying, getting up, going up to the, the front of the room and saying, we have a very important announcement to make. And then they go, Da 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 da! Snap, snap! Da 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 da! <laughs> and er, and the weird thing is, everybody knew what it meant. Everybody all looked at us and said, "Ooh, <laughs> something serious is going on." And then my second question, which is a bit more serious, um, the live Coco Talk you guys are doing at Tandy Assembly. Are, do you guys think you'll have enough bandwidth to allow some callers to call in to join as well? Well, that yeah, uh, I oh, you mean like over Skype? I was thinking video, audio only, probably just to not kill the bandwidth. I uh, honestly, I had not even thought about that because I'm not sure what the layout is going to be and what the logistics are, and I don't know what the bandwidth is going to be until we get there. So okay. um, I am planning, just like I've done to the past two Cocoa Fests, I am planning on live streaming all of the presentations. So for those who can't make Tandy Assembly, we'll be live streaming it. Now, the question that I need to get the answer to is where is that stream going to go? I'm obviously willing to do it on my page, but early on, John Linville had mentioned they would prefer to have it live streamed through a Tandy Assembly branded page where it's all going through their channels, which is fine too, but I don't know what that channel is just yet. I might not find out till I get there. So where the live stream will actually occur, I'm not sure yet. Now, my software I use, XSplit, I can actually stream to more than one thing at once. So I might just want to run one stream to theirs, wherever that is, and I'll run a second one to mine to like my Coco Talk stream too. So we've got a backup copy of these streams. Um, but we're going to live stream all of the speaking presentations, and I will also try to live stream from the exhibitor area. I'm also going to try to get as many interviews as possible, too, that we can possibly either use live or for future episodes. So I'll have my handheld camera, and I'd like to speak to all of the different exhibitors and all of their projects and maybe get some good content to um, post to both the channel for interview segments or just segments for future Cocoa Talks. So 
Um, hopefully a lot of good content will come from Tandy Assembly, but that's a great question that I hadn't thought about. It's about having people call into, because I'm not sure how other people are going to be able to hear you, because, you know, we didn't have to have like a speaker system for other people to hear you, unless maybe I just have headphones on and I'll hear the question and relay the question. Um, to be yeah, determined. I was thinking if you did like a call-in segment, you know, near the end of the show or something where other people could, you know, who couldn't make the actual show can... yeah. Pipe in some um, questions. Not, so, not throughout the show. That would be a bit so too much. So that, that is to be determined and, and to be fair and safe and realistic. Maybe the audio portion might not work, but you should be able to at least text chat and then we could then just verbally repeat the question for people to hear and, and address those questions. But yeah, it would obviously be great to have people call in. But um, remind me and we'll, and we'll look into that and we'll try to make it happen for sure. Okay. That's only two questions I had. Okay. And Jim Brain, who just joined us, welcome to the show, Jim. Hey. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to have you. And um, you, anything you want to let us know about, like either things you've been working on recently or things you got uh, to possibly unveil or at least, you know, show off at Tandy Assembly? Uh, well, that's the thing, right? Do, right? do I tell about them now or do I wait and unveil them at Tandy Assembly, right? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, um, we, don't, we don't want any... No, no spoilers. <laughs> I sort of, I, I sort of spilled the beans a little bit about the fact that you're working on a two meg memory expansion, Jim. Well, actually, yeah, we, I talked about that at Cocoa uh, Coco Fest, so I think yeah. that's that's okay. I just yeah. we talked about it on the Cocoa Talk, talk too. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. We have. Um, I think I can show. So David's still on, isn't he? Or is he? he is, is he still sick? He's still okay. here. I'm here. Uh, I'm here, Joe. So, I can. Um, I don't know if it's going to show very well, but I can uh, kind of show off. I took one of David's. It's David's project, really. Um, so David's been working on a um, an adapter to, to support PS2 mice for like uh, Coco Max Three. Is that right, David? Well, it would be usable for pretty much any you know joystick-driven thing. It's just instead of you know, using the joystick for a mouse, you use a mouse for a mouse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So hopefully you weren't trying to make it kind of keep it a lot of secret. But maybe no, I, no, maybe no. I We've been talking about that for a while. <laughs> so um, he's been under the weather, and I had an opportunity to throw in a bunch of uh, uh, boards into the prototype bin. And so I, um, I took his design, and I... Um, added a little bit to it so you could continue to use your my uh, continue to use your joysticks as well as um, a PS2 mouse mm, and then pass through. also yep have a pass through and then also um, haven't gotten it working I haven't written the code for it yet but but to be able to select which of the uh, which of the uh, joystick ports the PS2 mouse is connected to so um, I've got a got a little bit of video of or not video but but I've got it on my web camera right now so you can you can see it if I can turn on sure. the sure. Uh, thing right there so so there it is and uh, so David I that's that's your design basically just uh, um, just kind of blown up a bit so uh, I'll may maybe get a little pin here and I can show you the different things so right now it's got um, this is the extra mouse that's connected, or this is not the extra mouse, the uh, um, the Tandy joystick that's connected. Okay, that's the input. And then, yep, and then you've got the other one over for the other side, and then you've got the brains of it, which is uh, an AVR microcontroller, and you've got two um, 
digital to analog converters, and then you've got the component, the parts of it that go to your to your Coco itself. So you've got left and right here as well, and you got power over here that you can get via the via USB, like a wall wart or whatever powers the PS2 port and some various things inside here. So I don't. I mean, I think it's a pretty cool project. David should get a. So when he's not working on floppies and stuff like that, he works on stuff <laughs> like that. So. He should get an attaboy for that, right? So That's right. That's right. So I'm going to bring this to Tandy Assembly. Hopefully I'll have, um, I'll have the PS2 uh, being able to flip between the two joysticks, um, joystick ports. I'll have that working by Tandy Assembly. And, okay. And, uh, we can show that off while we're there. That's um, cool. Yep. And this supports the high-res joystick interface as well as regular, correct? The high, the high res well when you say the high res joystick interface you're saying the Coco three way of detecting more than sixty three levels on the regular joystick interface is that what you're talking about or are you talking about the cart- either that or, or simulating the Steve Bjork design one? This, I think I think there's three different high res interfaces at this point. You've got the one that was for Coco Max, the Radio Shack high res interface, and then you've got these the custom. The software-based solution. Actually, do a high-res interface over the standard joystick without using any additional hardware. No. Yeah, and that's what this one does. So, okay. I, I mean, I, I probably could do the, you know, simulate the the other two, but I think the other two require like you plug in something to the cartridge to, port. To the serial port. And it uses oh, the, the cartridge yeah, the Coco Max yep. and serial port or cassette port yeah. for the. Uh, yeah. yeah, cassette port. Yep. Okay. They yeah, well, the, they both use the cassette port. Yeah, my original design, um, the only thing it would do is it had used a 12-bit DAC, and therefore if you plugged the adapter into the high-res joystick converters, it would work through those without any issue. So if you had them, it would work with them. But otherwise, as far as it itself... It's just seen as a high-resolution analog device and didn't do any of the extra adapter protocols. I can take a, I can take a look at that. There's still a little bit of capability in the, in the project, so I can take a look and see if it's easy to add that um, high-res joystick interface capability. I, I don't know much about it at this point. Hmm. Neither did I. That's why I didn't bother yeah. with it. But to be somewhat of a just pass-through adapter, it's still pretty impressive to be able to use your, you know, use a nice mouse yep. that are a little bit more. You probably have a better opportunity to get an actual PS2 mouse than you will to find a Tandy Deluxe two-button mouse at this point. Those are a little bit less common. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, now, so for collectible purposes and nostalgic purposes, having a Tandy mouse would be nice. But for actual quality of mouse, I would imagine just about anything else is probably better at this point, too. Yes, yeah. I've used used three, no, four different brands of PS2 mice. Uh, three of them were diff- three different year-separated versions of the optical PS2 Logitech mice. Okay. And one was one of the PS2 Microsoft optical mice. So... And they all put it put across the top. Of the Bruce, <laughs> Bruce, you're not I, <laughs> I would imagine it would work with a PS2 trackball as well. Yeah, it should. Yeah, right. yeah. The main the main issue putting and I, Dave and David and I haven't had a chance 
to talk and you know, a little bit of weather and whatnot. But um, I was adding in the pass-through capability, and I ran into the challenge that the the PS2 mouse is obviously well any mice. I mean, the interface is kind of immaterial, but the uh, the mouse itself is very precise. And so when you're not moving the mouse, it's not giving you any kind of information. As soon as you move the mouse, it it gives you you know information as to how far it's moved and what buttons are pushed or whatnot. But the joystick um, continues to, you know, it's just a it's just a set of potentiometers or variable resistors, and they're not incredibly precise. And so every time that you scan the joysticks, you get um, different readings, slightly different readings. They're off by maybe one or, or two values. And if you're scanning them at 10 bits of resolution, which is what I'm scanning them at, you're, you know, from a zero to six, zero to sixty-three perspective, like on the Coco, it wouldn't change. But in your when you're in ten bits, you're uh, zero to one thousand twenty-four, and they slide around a little bit. And so, what I was trying to figure out is, um, when you're using both units, you have to be able to tell when to use the mouse and when to use the joystick. And so, initially, I had a couple different options to figure out when one was moving and one was not, but. Ultimately, I decided that anytime the mouse moves, the mouse takes over, and the joystick it'll switch to the joystick if you hold the joystick to one of the corner or one of the edges. So if you hold the joystick edges, it'll flip using the joystick. Otherwise, the joystick would always take over from the mouse because every time the joystick would change its value a little bit, the software would say, "Oh, the joystick's moved. I'll go ahead and switch to it," mm-hmm. which would be quite annoying if you were using the mouse and you had the joystick just laying on the desk. Interesting. Things that I would never even thought of, but yeah, so some of the challenges by having this pass-through scenario with multiple devices going to the same input. So, yep. yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very yeah, interesting. Jim. And, and oh, you're, you're oh. taking an approach that I was actually thinking of something else, is uh, which, you know, I haven't gotten around to doing my input version yet, but I thought about using the center mouse button just to trigger when to switch from the mouse to the joystick. Because mm-hmm. then you could just click the button, and then you're from the mouse to the joystick. Click the button again, and you're back to the mouse. Yep, too, I've, so. and I've and I've got that in there as well. So if you want to, um, if you want to switch to the joystick, you can click the the button, one of the buttons. You can click either one of them. The problem I had with that is, is let's say that you were working on a piece of, you know, let's say you're working on the next, you know, masterpiece, right? And you've been using the mouse to do part of it, but you want to switch over to the joystick, but you don't actually want to put a dot anywhere. Well, you wouldn't want to use the the button because then you'd accidentally maybe put a dot somewhere. So at least if you move the mouse, or sorry, move the joystick without, without having to press the button, it gives you another option to switch over to joystick as opposed to having to press a button. Yeah, I think yeah. that's why David was mentioning using the third button because no Coco program would have a clue about a third button, so... Oh, be a oh safe, well, I didn't know about the button. third button, and I don't... Well, how did it hold it? The third button. So, the third, the third yeah, the button center is mouse the scroll wheel. You push in on the scroll wheel, that's typically the third button. Yeah, the middle mouse button. Oh, 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 the middle button on the mouse. I got it, I got mm. it. Yeah, cause you could make that a safe way to switch between, because a Coco, like I said, except for a couple of obscure Nitrous 9 drivers using the RS-232 pack and the old Logitech mice, nothing ever used a third button. And even then, I think most of the time, they just remapped it to the second anyway. Yeah, that's true. You could do that. Well, code's easy to change, so Neat. I'll dump it off <laughs> David, and he can he can figure out what he wants to do there. <laughs> so, one of the other things I was going to plan on doing, and I don't know how much utility it has, is... 
um, at least on other platforms, uh, sometimes you plug one joystick in, but you have two ports. And so inevitably, whatever port you plug your joystick into is the wrong port for whatever game you're trying to that play. That happens a lot. <laughs> okay. Yes. yes. So um, I thought one of the options, since I've got both joystick ports here, one of the options I thought is uh, having, a, having a, a, a way of swapping the ports. So you can swap Ooh. A to B and, and yeah. the, that'd be cool. Yeah. You, so. you, you just gave me an idea. Center mouse button, then you right-click or left-click to switch ports. <laughs> For left or right. Hey, hold down the center button and then... Sounds like, that sounds like that's going to need a user manual. <laughs> <laughs> it's so intuitive, you never have to crack open the manual. That's right. Ease of use. Ease of use. Ease of use. Um, so I've got some other stuff going on for Tandy Assembly, but not not quite ready to show those off yet. But I thought David want to see this since this yeah. is really his his project. I haven't really done much except just kind of augmented a bit while I've been waiting for him to get well. That's awesome. Oh, I'm I'm sure there's a few people that would be happy to buy those up down there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I don't know if you were if you were privy to this uh, before, Jim, but we now have a at least we I have officially decided that if a cocoa enthusiast is ever sick now, it's referred to as the mega bug. A mega bug. I heard that. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Got it. So, the, a lot of that mega bug has been going around. So yeah. So we're, we're getting over the bug. So. What's the possibility of using a USB mouse and having the the logic in the mouse adapter convert that to look like analog readings to the Coco? It's the same. It's the same thing. The problem I've run into with USB is um, the the joy or the benefit of working on some of these projects is the idea of using some of these very small microcontrollers. I'm partial to the AVR line of microcontrollers, but there's a couple different uh, brands, Microchip, who now owns Atmel, who makes the AVR. Um, they're all, all you know, good microcontrollers. The AVR microcontrollers are very easy to program with, and they have a C language. Um, GCC is available for them and so forth, and so, so that's easy to develop for them. The challenge with the AVR microcontrollers is in order to use a mouse in an interfacing project like this, you need to implement what's called host mode. So host mode means you act like a PC as opposed to you act like a mouse. And the development, uh, the CPUs or, or microcontrollers that have develop or um, a device mode, I guess what you call it, um, excuse me, the number of controllers that have device mode are plentiful and they're very cheap. But the number of microcontrollers that have host mode or, or what on the OTG, um, which allow you to hook a mouse into them or a joystick or something like that, they're much less plentiful and they're much more expensive. And the AVR microcontroller that, that offers on-the-go mode is a very expensive microcontroller. It's probably like 6 or $8, whereas a, as the microcontroller that's on the board I just showed you a little while ago is probably $0.50 cents or a buck. Oh, wow. So that's... That's a bit of a challenge. There are cheaper microcontrollers that have on-the-go functionality, but they're, the other, they're another architecture, so they're microchipped architecture. And I'm not as familiar with them. And, and so, the key, so you know, to answer your question, it's, 
there's not really a problem with the software capability. It's pretty easy to read a USB mouse. There's a lot of projects out there that allow you to do that. And then, of course, once you get the data from the USB mouse, David's, the rest of David's project is pretty straightforward. You pass it to a, a digital analog converter and you're done. Um, but getting those uh, uh, microcontrollers to be inexpensive enough so that you can embed them into a project like this is a bit of a challenge. And so I'm still hoping for, for AppMail to come up with a cheaper option because I'd rather not at this point change my entire uh, tool chain to use the microchipped products just so I can use that USB on-the-go functionality because I don't really use microchip. You kind of design your um, your hobbyist projects or whatnot around one particular uh, microcontroller, just like, you know, mo it'd, it'd be like asking everybody on the call that writes for 60.09 to suddenly switch over and write Z80 code or 6502 code. It's it's doable, but it's a pain, mm -hmm. and you got to come up with an entire different set of tools, and you got to come up with an entire different way of thinking about programming, um, and then any of your libraries that you rely upon, which maybe so folks don't do that here, but um, but there are USB libraries, and they're available plentifully for the for the AVR. But 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 they're they're not as plentiful for the for the microchip line. So it's just a challenge in finding something that's economical to put a project together around. I agree, though. USB would be you know PS2 mice are probably getting to be harder to find, mm -hmm. and not all of them support like this one that's plugged in right here supports both protocols, USB or PS2. But but the number ones that are going to do that probably are dwindling considerably. So it would be something to think about. I'm just kind of waiting on that opportunity for a cheap on-the-go microcontroller that can be embedded in projects like this. So you mean it's like asking Mick Morantis to switch over and write code for OS 9? <laughs> I, I, I watched a commercial earlier today on the show. It seemed to me like Mick was very much enthused about OS 9. <laughs> that was the story I heard anyway. That was our celebrity impersonator. Um, yes. It was. It, it may have been. I, I caught it only so slightly. I might have been mistaken, but. Yeah. Well, the, uh, yeah, one of the guilty parties behind that has joined us recently, too. Um, Bruce Moore is here. How are you, Bruce? <laughs> Good eye, mates. Good eye, mates. Bruce, we need to hear you say, ease of use. Ease of use. <laughs> <laughs> I need to sample that and put it in my soundboard and just drop hey, that from time to time. that would be very fun. <laughs> so, so on the plus side, actually, I've found, uh, uh, Jim, I've actually found that a large number of devices still do actually have both protocol support because what's happened is, I mean, I'm sure it'll eventually go away, but what has happened so far is a lot of the stuff that was designed was using chips that they made that they put the, both protocols in the chip, in the mouse or the trackball, and then going forward, they're still using a lot of those same chips. So a lot of PS2 devices have a hidden PS2 mode in there, and you just need a physical adapter, or you just plug into a USB uh, port that is speaking that protocol, and miraculously the thing will start talking in PS2. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to support them as long as they, um, as long as they provide them. But, uh, I forget who was asking about, oh, it was, I think, Nick asking about um, uh, USB. I've shied away from USB for another reason. Um, it, it's, it's inevitable that everybody in the um, hobbyist community is going to have to eventually migrate over to devices that are USB. But the problem I have is, you know, 
I, I have a kind of unique vantage point because I sell quite a few products to quite a few people and from, from all over the world. And um, you would be surprised how many people do not understand that if you sell a device and it has a USB uh, port on it, that does not automatically mean that they can plug anything into that port, right? So that's mm. the beauty and the curse of USB because in a PC you have enough memory and enough capability to load drivers for your scanner and your printer and your mouse and your VGA adapter and whatnot. But if you put a hobbyist thing out there and it has a USB port on it, I can just imagine the phone call or the email that's going to come where somebody says, well, this interface does not work because I plugged in my scanner and it will not recognize it. And you're like, how well... Come it, how come it doesn't recognize my USB coffee maker? <laughs> that, that's right. I, you know, now your USB fan it might work with, but... but but that's right. I mean, and, and I know a lot of people were wondering, well, you know, I can't buy a printer unless it's a USB printer. And so I really want to get a printer. Oh, here, Jim's got something that has a USB port on it. Let me buy that. It says it's something for a mouse, but surely it'll work the same. Right. I'll buy it, and then I'll plug my printer in, and then it won't work. And then I'm going to email him, and I'm going to post on the forum that he's horrible, and he's stupid, and, and he has crappy products because it doesn't work with my printer. So there's a little, little bit of hesitation there. Sure. Yeah, you gotta you got to protect your... Uh you know your brand your reputation all that kind of stuff yeah you just have to make but, it for lightning instead but just yeah, bear right. in mind but just bear in mind you're probably going to have the occasional customer that's going to try and plug the USB printer into it anyway and then still curse at you well yeah that's, that's david the... <laughs> <laughs> no nope, i know better i'm not the people that rent a mac and then plug a pc peril port printer into the scuzzy port and blow everything up <laughs> I don't know. You killed quite a few PCs lately, so I'm not so sure about that. Right, right. Well, Jim, we certainly appreciate you as always um, sharing your your stuff with us. You got a lot of cool things going on. We got a lot of really, really brilliant people in our community doing a lot of really cool things, and it's great to be kind of be a fly on the wall and see this stuff happen here. Um, cool stuff, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again in, per in person. Uh, is your daughter going to come with you to Tandy Assembly? I don't know. I think it's just going to be me. Okay. Um, so sorry that you won't get the chance to meet her again. But yeah, I, I bought uh, some earrings from her at uh, Coco Fest for my daughters. So yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It runs in the family. The uh, the circuit board designs, right? So <laughs> it's true. No, yeah. it does seem like it, it does seem like over the past. You know, it seems like maybe the last eighteen months or maybe a little bit fifteen months or so. It seems like there's been somewhat of an explosion of people designing new new hardware capabilities for the platform so i i would assume everybody's excited about that yeah yeah and i think one i think one project probably inspires others when people see that oh this can be done and people are doing this and and consumers and the community is responding to it i think all those things fuel this innovation and inspiration and stuff like that so um, and, and obviously things like you've talked about the ability to create prototypes and have boards produced for you this is an exciting time for that. That um, that certainly help and mm -hmm. you know, quickly facilitating that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know when you're putting a board run together, it's like twenty bucks to ship the boards from the board house, and you can put basically any amount of boards that you want on in there. And this board, you can get ten of them for five dollars and ninety cents. So it's it's <laughs> it's almost as if you're you know it's it's useless to try to not. Uh, by the board, even if you're sure that like this design's not the design I would go into any kind of production status with, because I would use surface mount parts and junk like that. But but still, I mean, for six bucks, you can't go wrong. No, no, that's cool. 
Very, very cool. Um, is that good? Are you done with that now? Uh, I, I'm as done as you want me to be. No, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I, just, I, I, want, I, wanted, I wanted to give Bruce a chance, but I didn't want to interrupt if you were still had more things to talk about. Nope. I, I need to drop off of here, so I'll see you guys in the All next right, show. Barry. All right, Barry, thanks for joining Later, us. Later, Barry. Uh, say hi to the kids and the parrots for us. We'll, we'll All right. do. All right. And Bruce Moore, author of Forest of Doom. How are you? Thanks for joining us at the uh, the final chapter, the final segment of this week's Coco Talk. Yes, at the final hour. Yes, I'm, mm. I am well. I had, a, I had a question now. This is based on uh, a comment Curtis made last week. Uh-oh. So I was talking about, no, this is good. This is all good stuff because it inspired inspired me. So um, uh, I, I said that with Forest of Doom, I, I made a, uh, an original soundtrack that you're supposed to put on your, you know, player of choice and, and have it play in the background while you play the mm. game. Curtis said, well, why don't you run it straight through the cassette uh, cable and have it come out your Coco speaker? And I thought, sure. And at the moment, I was like, oh, okay. And then I got thinking about it. I said, like, hey, I like that idea. So, <laughs> so uh, I started experimenting. Will the play command and the audio trans go through at the same time? Well, they won't, it turns out. But you can always just turn audio on back on again when uh, when the, the big battle is over and all the, the sound effects are done. So so that will actually work. So now here's my question. I, I'm trying to see if, it, if I can make this work on VCC. And um, <clears throat> so with VCC, I load up something into the tape player. And I go audio on, motor on, and I don't hear anything. At least this is what's happening for me. And I wonder if anybody else can confirm that that just doesn't happen with VCC. And if, I, if the emulators are out of luck. <coughs> I've never tried it on VCC, to be honest. Um, mm. I'm... I'm not sure. Um, a lot of the emulators are designed to just look for your data patterns for loading your programs. Um, uh, this is where I wish Kieran was available because I know he does some really funky stuff for his really quick tape loading mm. routines under Disk Basic. So, um, well, I, yeah, I'm just wondering if I'm just doing it wrong or something, because I, I can load a cassette file or a WAV file that I loaded from the Color Computer Archive. I, I tried to Berserk and loaded it up just fine, but if I try doing audio on while it's loading, I, you know, nothing happens. Right. I so think, I, I, I think I might, that's probably an emulator issue then, I would guess, because it does definitely, you can hear the, the noise on a real Coco. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, shoot. So I wonder if well, it's just only looking for the um, like the modemy type sound to translate into bits, and it's not looking for analog audio sound, possibly. Possibly, except I tried to see if I could hear actually Berserk loading, mm -hmm. and and I didn't hear anything there either. This is VCC, the two point whatever. I never tried it on uh, the more standard earlier version. Okay. So uh, I, Karen has just chimed in a little bit on our little Skype chat thing where he says XROAR sort of passes tape audio through. But it's based on the zero crossings, so it ends up sounding quite crunchy. It wouldn't be good for this. <laughs> okay. So, um, oh, okay. 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 And Richard's got to go. Richard Lorbieski just says I got to go. Okay, Richard. Thanks for being here. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you next week, and definitely looking forward to seeing you at uh, Tandy Assembly. So, um, Bruce, I got, I got yeah. a question for Bruce. So, and and Nick's still on, right? Nick's still yeah. there. I see him. So Nick came up with a really, I thought, kind of neat idea well he, he was saying the speech sound pack was really cool because um it had 
a processor in it that you could you could send it some commands and say, hey, start playing this music. I'm gonna go off and do something else, and then when I get done, you know, I don't have to wait around for you. I don't have to actually drive the music and whatnot. Is is that something that would be of interest, or 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 not? Right. Right. Uh, well, it, it, um, probably not on this project. Because <laughs> you've I'm, already I'm, got pre-recorded music, right? You've got, he's got music yeah. that he's already recorded that's basically like an MP3 format or something like that, right? Oh, got yeah. it. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 it, was just a, it was just a neat idea uh, yeah. that, to have it come through the Coco. It, and if the emulators can't do it, then I guess that's uh, you know only people with real hardware could actually... Pull that one off as yeah. Was, I would try it under Mame or Mame because Mame would be your best shot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if I can figure out how to do it, <laughs> that'll be the trick. That's why I was thinking VCC because you know VCC equals ease of use. Ease right? of <laughs> use. <laughs> but Mame, it's like oh my gosh, where would I start? And that <laughs> Mame, that Mame is a mess. I tell you. <laughs> Oh yeah, maybe it's worth put, look just taking a quick look at because uh you know if there's yeah if if it does work under Mame and it's not too complicated then maybe that's not a bad bad thing. Far out. Far yeah, out. that was my question. So when can we expect to purchase Forest of Doom? Uh, November. So mm. uh, okay. I think no. I think probably the first Saturday in November probably we'll do a launch. Okay. Uh, and you know, launch it on Coco Talk if that's if that's that, so cool. That, it would be an honor. And uh, I plan on uh, at this point, I plan on having a contest. You know, first person to send me evidence of winning is going to get this, uh, a unique item or something like yeah, that. Neat, so I'm neat. just still still working that out. But well, I, I don't know if you fun. I don't know if you saw earlier, but but Curtis was showing us a game that was based kind of like on an Ultima type game, and there was a lot of interesting. He was kind of drawing parallels to your book where there was a lot of interesting stuff that came with this where there was like uh, a wire that you had you know physical wire that came with the package that tied into the game and some some cards and some piece of paper that had like burned edges that fit in with the story and stuff like that so it was like a lot of kind of augmented reality memorabilia that came with this game back from 90 something um, oh so yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that 89 and 93 of, yeah yeah that would be kind of cool to have something like that that whatever this is it ties into the story and it's you know it's a tangible um little thing that goes along with it right like, right well the strategy guide does fit into the it does fit into the story and all yeah. that so and and you know that's something that's so missing from today's everything we don't get anything on paper anymore you know it used to be you bought a computer and you got a book you know and you bought mm -hmm. a computer and you, you know you even uh you know five ten years ago if you bought a computer you got the cds to reinstall your operating systems and your applications and drivers and it is somewhat of a manual now everything is basically digital and downloading and pdf and you know there's not too much paper uh, mm -hmm. being pushed uh, with software anymore and so those are some that's a really cool thing yeah well i've even got some stuff some that you, you're gonna have to decode it i mean if you really want to know what it says you're gonna have to figure it out oh, wow. it's, it's it's not key to winning the game but uh you know it's it could be helpful so just just do it just whatever you do write it down in the metric system and nobody in america will know what you're saying so <laughs> now all of us canadians will win the free prizes then so. yeah yeah the canadians will just take and the, and the uk people yeah. i should mention Siren just posted in the skype chat there apparently uh mame it does work oh, oh. He, uh, okay 
Did he have post instructions though? It's ease of use. Oh my god! That's it's self-explanatory, <laughs> isn't it? It's uh, you install this driver and then you redo your boot file and yeah, you don't you, even need you, a manual. You modify yeah. the header descriptor of it and <laughs> re-verify the CRC and you know it's it's a piece of cake. Well, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll take a crack at it. If I can't get it within five minutes, I don't think I can expect any any any. Oh, he did post the help. He did. Oh, did he? he did, yeah, <laughs> awesome. he, he gave you some syntax in there. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, I'll, I'll check it out. Very good. Actually, maybe you. post that into the uh, YouTube chat there, just so that it's on the recording too. If you guys want to copy and paste that, yeah, it's going to be hard for me to juggle that right now. Um, oh, it's nines like that. You have to decrypt all the instructions. <laughs> 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 yeah. Part of the design. Yeah. That's what makes it so fun, right? Yeah. Ease yeah. of use. Oh. Ease of decryption. A... Well, Nick, you say that much better than that Marionetta's guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Marionette's a hack. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrity impersonations. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right, well. To steal, to further steal more from the Coco Crew podcast, have we beat this one to death? We <laughs> <laughs> broke the three-hour mark again, so I think we did. I, I think we did. I'm, I, I think I might have one more Forest of Doom commercial queued up here in the uh, commercial playlist. So let me see if I can switch over and if we can get Forest of Doom trailer two. That might play here in just a second, and then we'll we'll kind of close this guy out here in just a second. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Floppy Days podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Coco Talk. This feud between the king and his half-brother, the wizard, has been going on for long before I was around. Presently, the king's scepter has been in the wizard's grasp for over 50 years, and his highness has worked himself into a royal frenzy. At first, he managed to get volunteers to deliver the ransom, promising them great wealth and even a promotion to royal office, but none of them succeeded. I don't know why I decided to go to the public market that day, but there I was, minding my own business, when with a fanfare of trumpets, the king arrived, casting his baleful eye about the masses. He fixed his eye on me this time, and now I find myself Another unwilling adventurer in the Forest of Doom. Hey! Oh, oh my word. There's nothing for it now, lad. It's do or die! I love it. <laughs> Ooh, the suspense is killing me. Yes. Another fine product for our Tandy color computer. Coming to a Coco near you this November. Uh, good stuff. And by the way, shameful plug, but there is a link to um, Bruce's blog on amacoconut.com. So if you go to blogs and projects, you'll find a link to the Force of Doom development blog there. Along with Fun Star by Nick Marionettes. 
Yeah, it, was, it was finished last weekend, right? Yeah, it was finished over a weekend. <laughs> and <coughs> produced on ROM cartridge. <laughs> For OS 9. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. All right, guys. Yeah, it's way past my uh, I've been hungry time. And uh, we are now on three hours. So this is an average length episode of Coker Talk. It's a <laughs> mere scant three hours of uh, techno babble for your listening perusement. And um, good stuff. As always, I want to thank everybody who's been here in the call. And I actually have a way to figure that out now, which I forgot. But how can I do that? Who's been in this Skype call? So we started off with John Strong and Richard Lorbieski. Then Barry Nelson joined us. Bill Noble joined us. L. Curtis Boyle joined us. David Ladd, Simon Jonasson, Rick Adams, Nick Morentes, Retro Innovations, and Bruce Moore all joined us. Um, in the live chat, we had Grant Leedy. We had Karen, who is sixy. We had Logan Pendleson stop by. Richard Lorbieski was also in the live chat. Jim Brain was in the live chat. Retro Innovations. Norlander stopped by in the live chat. Richard Cavell from the UK was in the live chat. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, we had a lot of people uh, joining us, a lot of people watching us. And, as always, the uh, support is appreciated. And, it, it, uh, you know, I wouldn't keep doing this every week if I didn't feel like somebody actually... And appreciated what we were doing here, and I appreciate everybody who, um, who who's part of the panel each week with you for your time and your talent and your contributions. And I appreciate everybody who watches the show and listens to the show as well. So I think episode twenty-seven of Coco Talk is a wrap. Anything got anybody have anything they want to close up with as far as maybe something we'll talk about next week or something to think about? Some closing words, words of wisdom, anything like that. Ease of use. There you go. <laughs> Ease of use. That's it. So that's it, folks. I'm going to play you guys some music. We're going to end up Coco Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the new YouTube channel. And don't forget to go to I'mACocoNut.com for all of your color computer needs. And go to CocoTalk.live for all of your Coco Talk needs. So here's some Coco music. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Right, so yeah. we're off the air now, but if you want to record one or two things that we can do for our little after talk bonus wrap up discussion, we're now off the air, but still recording for bonus content. Um, good show, though, guys. Good show. <laughs> Thank you. Are we going to start titling episodes too, or I do that after the fact, depending on what kind of was discussed. So, like, if we have a topic going in, that will be the title going in, like, if okay. we, you know, the OS9 or the hardware discussions. But usually what I do is after the fact, whatever the main things that were discussed, they go into the title or the description of the show. So, obviously, today, you know, we have things to talk about, like the fact that we have a John Strong, um, you know, review of 
whatever. So we'll mention something like that, and I'll figure it out. Uh, I'm just going to call it ease of use today. So ease of use. There we go. Really, honestly, yeah, <laughs> that really is it. Ease of use. Um, and one of the things I forgot to mention because you know we've had a few people who have not been here in a in a little bit. Like uh, John Strong has not been here in a little bit. Nick Marentes has not been here. Even Rick Adams. But a person we're missing today who's been here from day one has been Mark Overholzer. So this is one of the first times that Mark hasn't been here. And he's also been very helpful with me helping me catalog the shows and come up with the timestamps of where things are and where they go. So hopefully he'll be able to help me with that. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to be curious to see, you know, I, I should have done this like a week or two ago when as soon as the I'm a Coconut channel was, um, was live, I should have started doing them then. But whatever, we got we got to launch the channel. So this is going to help launch the channel. It's going to start directing traffic to to that channel. Um, so this hopefully this episode will do that. So cool beans. And yeah, too bad Karen. I think Karen said he was a little bit sick too. So I think he had mentioned something. That he won't be on the voice chat. So the mega bug is making its way around the globe. It seems. So. Change of yeah. season. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not going to wait. I haven't gotten anything so far, which considering how much lack of sleep I've had the last few weeks, it's pretty impressive. I know, I know. I have, um, I've had this one client that has been, um, it's just been the hurricane aftermath nightmare dealing with stuff because their fiber's been down. So it's been, I've been literally nonstop since the day before the hurricane. I've been working on stuff with them every single day. And it was just, I think, Thursday is when everything has been online now. So I've been like just nonstop scrambling and now things are calming down for me a little bit so hopefully i can catch up on some stuff too next week yeah because um, you had a, a basic chapter you said you had pretty well recorded or at least typed in the listings for and that, yeah you I, did that time the, to do that. I did all the code for it and then i was also going to record the chapter and i can still record the chapter but i think before i release the chapter i want to move everything over to the new channel so again oh. all, all new coco videos will go there so i could record it at any time but until i can also kind of port the old episodes i want to you know make that be sequential after all the other ones have been ported so but yeah maybe this weekend i'll get that going because that was one of the things i wanted to be able to announce at tandy assembly was not only okay here's what i did i started doing youtube and then i did this and then i did that i wanted to mention the basic series but i was hoping to be able to announce what my project is going to be but as of right now i still don't even know what my project's going to be because i haven't finished my basic series and i don't think i'm going to finish it in two weeks so i probably won't be able to make a product announcement at tandy assembly but who knows now you've now you're you're feeling the pain that's for everybody that comes to a show like that and is 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 desperately trying to finish their projects up like weeks before yeah, yeah. I also I wanted to try to develop a DVD for Tandy Assembly. Now, theoretically, I could still get that done because those can be turned out pretty quickly. I could, if I was to get a DVD done within a week, they're produced the same day and they can ship within a few days after that. So I could. Get, I wanted to make a Tandy montage things of all kinds of Tandy games like TRS eighty games, Tandy one thousand games, Coco games. So make a DVD of a broad spectrum of Tandy games. Um, that's also a project that I haven't started. So I've still got to work on my PowerPoint for my, uh, <laughs> whatever I'm going to talk about. I haven't started that yet. So, you know, <laughs> just, just winging with blank slides, you know? Yeah. That's uh, probably be just like a Coco talk show. Then we yeah, just wing it with exactly. no script. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it live. <laughs> 
Um, I better be off, guys. All right, Nick. We're glad to hear from you. Good luck with all your home moving and renovating and relocating and stuff. Yep. All Take right, it easy, then. Nick. Nick, one more time. Let me hear the ease of use from you, Nick. Use. <laughs> All right. All right. See you later. Take Bye. care. See you later. So, episode twenty-seven is definitely the ease of use episode. You know what? <laughs> hey guys, I, I just realized something. I don't. I don't know how many of you uh, uh, Americans know about uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie and the Great White oh, yeah. North. But, oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. But you know, basically, they they're they're kind of they have the same format as Coco Talk. They just like have a topic of the day and then they just start talking. Yeah. And that's how they did it. Except they have back bacon and beer, so we got to add that to the show yet. Toques. Yeah, well, you know. Got to wear a toque. We, that's, I need to get a, a Coco Talk toque that we can wear. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, you're, you're following in a fine tradition, is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, so. we got we to change the theme song now, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have to get my bottle of rum. <laughs> no, it's beer. It's mostly beer. Stubby bottle. No, rum. Rum. Co, 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 co. <laughs> oh, cut that off. Don't, don't put that on the bonus content. <laughs> too late. Too late. It's too <laughs> late, Bruce. <laughs> oh, dear. You have been caught. <laughs> I'm a hoser. Hey, take um, off. I'm not take going off. there. <laughs> it's a beauty of a show, eh? I do. I like yeah. that. Uh... Beauty, eh? <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, they have stereotyped every Canadian. That's how I think. I think everybody in Canada is Bob and Doug McKenzie. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, I, you know, the funny thing is, I knew some guys kind of like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They didn't use computers. <laughs> or electricity, but. <laughs> yeah. We're just gonna go ice fishing, eh? Hey. Hey. Yeah. Take off. Fire up eh? the snowmobile. Go down to the co-op to get the back bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and Strange Brew is still one of my favorite movies there. That, uh, what was yeah. that one the bit there where that little ghost scientist went flying around? Nice effects, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to watch that again. Yeah, look for that. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, and hopefully maybe we'll get together again later this weekend in chat or some other form. And two weeks uh, from Tandy Assembly, man. Two weeks. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. <laughs> it, is. it is. Very exciting. All right. Bye. So we are signing off on the bonus segment of episode 27, the ease of use episode of Coco Talk. And we'll see you all next time. Later. 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 <laughs> Later. Bye-bye.